I've been telling you for a long time that savewithconrad.com can save you money, but don't take my word for it. I'm calling some of our folks that we've helped out, really just trying to get their story. What made you come to Save With Conrad? The podcast. I mean, to be honest with you, Dave, I was working with Steven. Steven, man, that guy was on top of everything. It really made us a very, very comfortable whole process. Steven was definitely a five-star. As public school teachers, you know, you're giving so much of your time to to help these kids out that don't have it. We're we're living a life in this house right now of luxury that that we both are extremely blessed to, to, to be in because of you guys. That's awesome. That's awesome. I think I reached out at like 10 o'clock at night, you know, here in Washington. And Conrad like responded to my email like within five minutes. He's like, we'll hook you up, dude. And I was like, <laughs> this is the guy I want to work with. You know, we live in an area that is not affordable for teachers. And as soon as I, I talked to Conrad and, and, and Steven, they were just like, well, we can get this done. And it was just like, we never stressed about it at all. From your end, you guys were just out of this world for us. You know, we have four kids. As soon as we found this house and reached out to you guys, it was just like, it happened. It was just such a smooth process. I mean, I, I'm telling you, it was it was the easiest process to go through. If you had a friend or a coworker that was looking for help, would you recommend Say With Conrad to them? I have. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> I have. They're like, yeah, you know, we're thinking about buying a house. I'm like, Say With Conrad. And and what, what a great thing that, you know, you guys are located in Alabama and Conrad is like willing to, uh, uh, purchase a house for us here in Washington State, all the way across the, the country. This is our forever home. That's and, and for you guys to make our dreams come true in our forever home, it's a dream come true. It is. So what are you waiting for? Find out how much money you can save right now for free. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. Even credit scores in the 500s can be approved. And if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. But because we're licensed in more than 40 states, we can help more families than ever before. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Oh, and did I mention you could skip your next two house payments? Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lenders. Woo! My name is Double J. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to My World with Jeff Jarrett, the number one wrestling podcast in the world. I can't believe it. Jeff, are we blessed with a great response or what, man? It's almost overwhelming, huh? I like how you just said, My World. Yeah. Get the new catchphrase. <laughs> I'm working uh, on it. I, I could never do it the, the way Grado did. I saw him sing the song to you the other day, and I was like, dude, I got to step my game up. I, he's something. He, his recall is unbelievable in the early TNA years, but he knows every word. I mean, he's he's a savant in all of it. But uh, back to your question, I'm overwhelmed. Yeah. C- kind of like dumbfounded a, a couple of times when I get texts from the ad-free guys. Uh, hey, did you see this? Or, hey, did you see that? So. What a ride, what a ride so far. And we're just starting episode three. Yeah. I'm excited about it. You know, today is going to be a totally different show, but if you've missed episode one and two, go check them out. The first one is all about holding up Vince. The second one is well, Vince getting his sweet, sweet revenge and firing J E double F on national TV. And today we're going to remember Owen Hart. Of course, uh, Owen Hart was uh, born on 
May 7th, 1965, also to a wrestling family, Stu and Helen Hart. He's like two years older than you, Jeff, but it's probably crazy to think how similar your lives had to be in some regard, right? Both growing up in the wrestling business. Uncanny is yeah. the word that, uh, and I guess it shouldn't have come as such a surprise, but, um, but the one thing that's different and it's the obvious, uh, as far as the growing up, all of his siblings and even sisters, married husbands got in. I'm one of five. I'm the only one that got in, uh, really full time. So, so th- th- there's a big difference in that. And, uh, I can candidly say, uh, my dad never stretched me. <laughs> well, you know, Hey, so chat me up. Uh, Owen is uh, obviously not the oldest, but he's going to, I guess, sort of become almost like your older brother. Where are you amongst your five? Middle. Well, okay. uh, oh, second, no, my bad. I, I, I got an older brother, me. He's three years older than me, than me, younger sister, younger sister, younger brother. And, uh, your youngest brother is Jason that your dad wrote about in the book. Yes. Yes. Okay. He's, uh, Jared construction here in the middle Tennessee area. <laughs> Check him out. But no, yeah. Jason nine years younger. Uh, and, and we we're still close to this day. What's your and, older, what's your older brother do since he doesn't sell real estate or backdrops. <laughs> Ironically, he's in the financial industry. Really? Yes. Huh. He went to Georgia tech and he, he had the, uh, uh, the brains out of the family, I, I guess I always thought, uh, so I was, uh, the athlete and he was the, the brains, but yeah, he financial services, his whole career. What did you, uh, hear about as a young man in regards to the Hart family and the dungeon, you know, you sort of alluded to the whole, well, my dad never stretched me type deal. What do you remember hearing about just the Hart family growing up in the business? Look, I, I was a, a big Bret Hart fan, you know, w- w- as he was the Hart Foundation. Again, Jim Neidhart um, came through the territory, uh, the Anvil, Memphis, Tennessee, you know, so he'd come through the territory. So I knew I didn't know Jim personally, but but I knew of him. He had worked in the territory and my dad was sort of a, uh, always a he was a big fan of that. That uh, I, I guess you could just say the the athletic dude that would come through, whether it was you know, Paul Ellering, uh, as a young guy, just, I could go on and on the different names, but Anvil, um, and then Brett obviously teaming with him and me seeing him on the WWF and, and, uh, when WrestleMania was really, you know, WWF was just taken off nationally. So I was a fan of Brett, uh, and, and I'd heard of the Hart family, but you know, um, their territory was many, many, many miles away. Um, <laughs> Remember the, uh, the stomper you're asking these yeah. stories. So he had worked in that territory. So I'd heard a couple of stories via that, like, Hey dad, where, where does the Mongolian stomper, where's he at right now? You know, some kind of random question. <laughs> He's in Calgary. I'm like, huh? What, what, what do you, you know, the context of it, I didn't really wrap my head around, but, but I knew that Stu Hart ran the territory and there were long trips and it was really cold. From a, uh, as a sidebar, when Bret Hart really starts to get hot in the WWF, you know, for years and years, for lack of a better word, the WWF had sort of been the land of the giants, but when he starts to get hot, <laughs> did you feel like that was maybe opening up and Hey, maybe there's hope for me to, to get over there because y'all are similar in size, right? For sure. The, the, uh, you know, Marty and Sean coming through the territory, um, as, as just, they were, they were great. Uh, you know, j- just so good. Uh, Pat and Paul, uh, Pat Tanaka, Paul diamond, they had gone up there. 
but you can sort of see the pattern of tag teams going up there. Um, and, and no, you know, all singles guy were, were really, really big, but when Brett started to break out, um, I, I was like, yes, I was, I was a big fan of it. Uh, the, the Piper, uh, heart storyline and, you know, Kurt had Henning had come down, um, you know, worked in the Memphis territory and, and, you know, he went on to fame and he's not a, he wasn't a giant, you know, he, he was a good size, great athlete, but he wasn't six, five, six, seven, you know, he, he wasn't a Hulkamaniac size guy, guy, his athletic ability. So yes, Brett, um, breaking out of that tag team and heading down that direction. I, I loved it. I was, I was really, I was in the business obviously by then, but those high school years when the heart foundation was going, um, that's, that's back to, to circle back. That was my first real, uh, perception or getting to know the Hart family. Is Brett the first, uh, I mean, I, I guess Anvil's the first member of the family you meet, but, but he's sort of married in Brett's the first heart that you met maybe. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And that was through the Memphis connection. connection. That was, uh, when Mr. McMahon was born and sure. dur- dur- during that whole era when they came down. But, um, the first real time that I had, I guess, connected the dots, um, our old buddy, Dave Meltzer, uh, hmm. try this one on for says no, but reading about Owen in, in the Meltzer, uh, uh, you know, in the observer, like this guy's doing this in Japan and that in Japan. I'm like, Oh wait, that's, I was connecting the dots. That's Brett's younger brother. Um, and so I had it in my mind, uh, uh I, I say American, their dual citizenship, but, but, you know, somebody from this country about my size going to Japan and really having big success is the first time you actually see his work. Is he doing the blue blazer persona in like the late eighties with uh, the WWF? See, I didn't really, I, I don't really recall you talk about Owen. The first time yeah. I saw Owen in the blue blazer. I mean, I, yes, I, I'm sure that I saw that, but nothing really resonated. My first real viewpoint <clears throat> and I thought about coming into this episode and, and knowing, okay, the, the, what were my really first impressions? And I, I have to say that Coco beware, but we called him Coco Ware uh, here in Tennessee. He's from uh, West Tennessee, um, really was a guy that learned the business, uh, set up the wrestling ring, worked for my family's promotion. Um, I guess you could say, quote unquote, paid his dues. Uh, then he teamed with Norvell Austin, pretty young things. And, uh, my dad had, and to this day, but, but I can remember my dad talking about, you know, Coco in high school, um, basically stood up, uh, in the middle of some racial tension and brought the entire school together. Uh, so, so that was my first impression of Coco. And then he became, you know, a, a, uh, I, you know, as, as far as the territory goes, he was somewhat of a mainstay. Of course, he went off to Louisiana and all that. But um, my fondest memory, and this is what always it's like, you don't ever remember any of the French stuff, but they did a storyline where Flair came in um, and uh, as opposed to having him wrestle Lawler for whatever the MEP time and and having a, a, a no finish or whatever it was, um they did a storyline where Coco got the title shot in Memphis and Rick does what he did for years and years and years. He made the people believe he was going to lose. And I can remember the people at about the 10 minute mark. And this is back in those days when people came to their feet 
at the Mid South Coliseum and stood and then sit back down after a high spot. Then stand up again and then sit back down and stand up again. They stood standing. And I can remember sitting in the back of Coliseum going, wow, this is really good. And then Rick had them rocking and rolling. And and I mean, toward the whatever, 2020, I'd love to see this match back because in my mind, it was one of the greatest matches I'd ever seen at the time. But long story short, Coco that night walked out of there and did the job, but the people believed that Coco should have won. And so I see Coco Ware, and then I hear about second-generation guy Owen Hart, and, man, I can't wait to see them. And then you see them on TV in Bloomers. <laughs> you know, it, it just it, – it, it, it didn't connect with me again. But, you know, Pat and Balt Diamond, Marty and Sean, another tag team up there. What did uh, – from a promoter standpoint, what did your dad say to you or, or, or would you guess he thought – of Stu Hart as a promoter. Almost zero discussion. I would, I would always ask, you know, my dad's, um, mentor, but, but who he really, really respected was Eddie Graham. So I heard a lot of Eddie Graham stories, um, obviously Crockett and Watts and Fritz and I mean, Vern, I mean, you could go down the list, but Stu was never really in the discussion. Uh, Don Owen was another guy that, you know, back in those days, when, when you think territories, it's not like now, Hey, I'm going to jump on a plane and, and, uh, go out to LA and, and, and Karen used to, when we would have those business trips, I'm like, yeah, we're coming back tonight. You know, it was a cross country trip there and back, back in those days that didn't even, even resonate. So Don Owen and, and, and Stu and those territories were like in a different stratosphere. So Owen's doing some revolutionary stuff early on in his career. And obviously that style is going to become sort of the new norm. You made your WWF debut in August of 92 with the pyramid in Memphis. You're seated front row with Lawler and, um, being that you were upset, the WWF would run in your backyard. You jumped the rail and cut a promo for an open challenge and who else, but Bret Hart answers and accepts. How was Brett to deal with here and, and how big of a moment was this in your career? Sort of in your hometown, defending your home promotion or home territory. And I mean, he's on his way up. He's, he's one of the top guys at that point. And to, to recall all this, what, what I remember about this is a, we ran the mid South Coliseum every Monday night, right? This is the pyramid. It, this is a building that is now a Bass pro shops or something like that. That's right. It's a building that was quote unquote really never got on got up and running. It yeah, it's I mean it's had fights and all that, but the Mid South Coliseum was the, you know, Memphis State played there, now University of Memphis, but it was like a almost a, a, a different world. But anyway, WWF at the time, uh the big boys coming into town running, and we were doing live TV. And uh, me and Lawler and I, I forget all the exact ins and outs, but we're going to go down there and we're going to have something to say about it. Of course, we had the tickets set on front row, but me and Brett didn't talk beforehand. And this is where maybe in, in this day and age, you would never dream of, hey, you jumped the rail, even though it was a live event, you jumped the rail and going to have this promo. There was no let's discuss this. Let's do this. You know, just, hey. Between the second and third match, when the ring announcer starts to announce, ladies and gentlemen, the following contest, Jeff, jump the rail or, or whatever it may be and do your promo. And so obviously I'm a really young man and really fired up. And of course, the people in Memphis knew 
who we were and and were behind it. And it was just a little bit of a different feel and vibe. And and that's something that I remember that I really, I, I thought, oh man, this has got a, I, I didn't probably verbalize this, but I said, this has got a little a, bit of a hip factor. Uh, local boy is going to jump the fence and take, try to run the big boys out of here. So we did that. And uh, Brett, you know, always, uh, as I got to know him later, always very, very serious. And um, it was, but it was, it was a, a very quick little deal, but that was my first real interaction with a heart family. Hey man, let me smarten you up on something that I learned, I guess what last year chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do it yourselfers. I learned this the hard way, but here's a pro tip for you. Rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody. Oh, and they're reliably low. Rockauto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than charging prices based on what the market will bear like an airline. Rockauto.com is for everybody. They don't require a membership or an account login. They want to save you some cash. And this is really proven out for me and my family. I think I mentioned this a while back. I got my dad, his dream Corvette, an old classic way back when, uh, but I got it for him on his 60th birthday a few years ago. Well, those cars occasionally are going to need parts. We couldn't find anything locally. You know who could hook us up? RockAuto.com. You see, RockAuto.com is where I went for my family because RockAuto.com is a family business, and they've been serving auto parts customers online for more than 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for all of your auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They literally have something for everybody. We're talking stuff from engine control modules to brake parts to tail lamps, hell, motor oil, even carpet. That's right, carpet for your car. Now, this is not just for old classics. This is for your daily driver, too. You can get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your front door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. So easy, even JR can do it. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specs, and prices you prefer. Now, best of all, prices at rockauto.com, once again, reliably low all the time. And more importantly for me, they're the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why in the world would you spend up to twice as much for the same doggone parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And please write my world in their how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you. This is critically important. If you want to save cash, go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. But don't forget to write my world in their how did you hear about us box to let them know that J-E-F-F, J-A-F-F, you know the deal. Let them know we sent you. And we thank rockauto.com for sponsoring today's podcast. That night, uh, Owen Hart opened up teaming with Coco Beware. They were high energy. They're going to defeat the nasty boys. Is that your first time seeing Owen wrestle in person in real life? Yes. And, and you know, the nasty boys, which is, uh, <laughs> oh boy, I, I could talk a long time about <laughs> knobs and sacks, but they came through Tennessee. I'd met them on AWA taping when they were like true rookies. Uh, and then they became the nasty boys and they came to Tennessee and we hang out and became really close to this day. We're, we're buds. And, you know, it's one of those deals that when you really break in together, you go way back, uh, with those guys, but seeing those guys and, and in my mind, picking up those, um, WWF paychecks, I, I can remember thinking, damn, they're terrible. 
their in-ring work is terrible. Their promos are, man, what a great gimmick. But they're up there with Coco and, and Owen. It just felt such like a no connection for me. Mismatch, oh, yeah. Yeah, but anyhow, that, that I do remember it. So uh, after this, you're, uh, you're back on the road, uh, in the Northeast working with iron Mike sharp, but yeah. before, before we talk about everything else on Owen, it feels like every time I bring up iron Mike sharp to anyone who knew him, these, uh, legendary showers come up, <laughs> you're just shaking your head. Tell me about an iron Mike sharp shower. Well, before we get into, and I I've got a little method to this madness. What I think is sort of the, uh, story behind the story of these legendary showers. And I'm sure you've heard the ones of him getting locked in the building and, you know, he stays around a dressing room forever and ever. But so in Tennessee, some guys wore baby oil and some didn't, but night in night out. And I'm talking about to to shine up and, and look good going through the curtain. Iron Mike took baby oil to a whole nother level. I mean, bathed in baby oil. So when, on the very first lockup, you were touching this and look, I'm what, 23, 24, and Iron Mike's probably 20 years older than me or something like that. And he's got that wrist thing that he puts around that stunk like worn leather that it actually was. And when you lock up, you know, the beads of sweat, he's already pouring with sweat because he's done uh, 500 half Hindu squats before he walks out there. Mike was in really good shape, but, um, yeah, the reason he took so many long showers, I think is, is you got to do that to rinse all that damn baby oil off. Mm. But uh, yeah. And I got to work with Mike. <laughs> How slippery was he? Very slippery, but you know what? I, I, my hat's off to him. I, you know, I'm, I'm a young guy and you know, he asked like, like, like the etiquette was, Hey, can you do this? And I, and I was very, you know, I would say raise the right way, Mike, whatever you want to do. Well, what can you do? What would you like for me to do? Mike, you tell me, and I, I want to make it work for you. And, and we finally got out, Hey, I can drop kick. I can do this. Okay, great. And we went out and, uh, he led me through, you know, a, a great opening match or whatever it may be. Uh, but I got nothing but fond memories of, of old iron Mike. When you're first on the road and you're working these matches with Mike Sharp, are you getting any time with Owen or, or when's your first opportunity to really catch up with him, learn about the man behind the television character and the wrestler, if you will. And, and that is something that we did talk about. I'll say 93 ish, whatever is that it's, it's not like we ever had a, Hey, Jeff Jarrett. Nice to meet you. Oh, Owen Hart. Nice to meet you. It was, Oh, Hey man. Owen. Hey, how you doing? Yeah. You can dress in here. Uh, cause when they came to Memphis, it, there was no breaking in, there was no, and that's just something that, that, uh, I guarantee I'm going to get emotional, but, but because when I start thinking about those kind of things, there was no, Hey, I wonder this guy's pretty nice guy, you know, that we all sort of do subtly in our mind that, uh, Hey, this guy seems like a nice guy, whatever it may be. But, but, um, we never had that. It was friends from day one. I'll say that. The first time you share a ring with him based on my research is in Memphis at the Mid-South Coliseum, August 16th, 1993 in front of 1,850 fans. You're teaming with your old pal, Jerry Lawler to face the Hart brothers, Brett and Owen, who have Paul neighbors in their corner. Is this the first time you were in the ring with Owen? As far as you yeah. recall? Yeah. Yeah. What? And I was, I was so excited because 
it was um, obviously, especially in those days, but I've come to respect it even more uh, as it sits in 2021. But getting to team with Jerry uh, was always good. And then you've got Brett coming in, and he's multi-time at this point, IC champ. Um, you know, I mean, he was on his run. And Owen, that I, quote, unquote, read about, um, seen in the after mags, seen what you, you name it, wherever I saw him, the, the read about him in Dave's the observer, whatever it may be, I had heard about Owen. So now they're coming to town. Um, and we had a storyline going on. You referenced Paul neighbors, but, but as we're, that's all happening. And, and look, I did Memphis TV every Saturday morning. I don't think I missed more than 10 over seven years, but every Saturday morning I was there. So to get the opportunity that not only are WWF stars coming to town, but Brett and Owen and Lawler's my partner. Yes, I was really excited. And and them getting to the, the Coliseum that night. And of course, Brett being super serious and then getting to hear Owen so easy. And hey, wait, what do you want to do? Well, what do you I mean? We just sort of hit it off and and we just we were the younger guys. It was so simple. Let's do this. Let's do that. And of course, Lawler had the finish and sort of the guidance and definitely the, 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 the ins and outs of the match, but as far as how we're going to put it together and, and Owen didn't work a ton of quote unquote territory. Uh, you know, Brett obviously did, but Owen, I can remember saying, Hey, this is, I, I don't even know. I, this is a great stat for your team to look up prior to this cage match. When was the last cage match Owen had been in? Mm. I'd probably been in 30, but you know, a, a lot around the loop, but yeah, I'd been in, many and Owen coming in, I get, you know, he gets to be in a cage match. Let's go have some fun. That, that type vibe. For those who don't know, can you explain who Paul neighbors is? <laughs> so Paul neighbors, my dad is one of five kids and Paul's mother and Christine Jarrett, my grandmother, the dad, my dad's mom were, were uh, sisters. So Paul is my dad's first cousin, but he also worked for my father, um, for many years. Um, but on the farm, but he also refereed, he pulled the ring, um, all kinds of things. And we had done a storyline that, um, which is kind of ironic that you can say Paul neighbors and Miss McMahon in the same sentence. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense <laughs> because that, that, that will tie in, uh, later, but, uh, we had done a thing where Paul had turned on the family and he was a heel ref. Uh, and so he was the proverbial bad referee, heel referee, and his uh, uh, protagonist was Frank Morrell, who I rode with every day for almost seven years. Well, he helps uh, the Hart brothers get a win as Brett hits Lawler with a foreign object that was given to him. And uh, you're in there with, you know, three all-time greats. I mean, Jerry Lawler, Brett, Nolan, and Jeff Jarrett. My gosh, what talent in the ring there. And you get a one-on-one with Owen two weeks later. It's the night before SummerSlam 93. As you mentioned, this is the cage match at Mid-South Coliseum. Uh, there's 2,100 fans in attendance to see you retain your Southern championship over Owen. And then, uh, you two get involved in the main event, which is Lawler and Brett in a steel cage. Uh, but, uh, not just yourselves, but giant Gonzalez interferes. Boy, that must've been a spectacle. Another great. Yeah. <laughs> Another great. Uh, this is an interesting concept though. As you say, a uh, little sidebar. Yeah. Or meet Jack Gonzalez. I did not. I would have, by the way, Eligante is who we're talking about. If you're a WCW fan, 
I mean, George is a huge, huge man. Just, yes. I mean, it's hard to really describe unless you're sitting next to him. And when I used to see uh, Bruno or Harvey Whippleman or whatever ring name you want to call him, but Bruno, who was a guy who came to Tennessee as a young man and stayed, but to see them sort of even in the dressing room together was, was quite comical, but anyway, on to more greatness. Uh, we had uh, Jack Gonzalez and others in this ring. So I was others, <laughs> others. Let's mention though, this, this is a weird promotion. There's a pre-match stipulation that if Lawler wins, he's going to refund everybody's money. Um, I don't talk me through that idea. I mean, I, I don't know what to say. I've never heard of this, but what's the thought process behind, Hey, we're going to give everybody their money back. I'd love to have Bruce on this episode. <laughs> oh, just so he could do your dad. Yeah. Well, you know, and all that. Well, just to have this conversation about Memphis and let him do the impersonation by dad and this crazy promotion, but re- you know, remember it's 52 weeks. You yeah. got to come up with something crazy. Yeah. Uh, if I recall, would this Ben have been right in the middle of the Brett and Lawler feud? Yes. So, so it, it, that's what rings in my head that h- how do we convince the buying public that Lawler is going to win. If I don't win, I'm giving everybody their money back. And, and look, I, it, 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 t- t- let me, let me give, uh, I just saw on Twitter this morning. Did I say cash is King and context is queen? Yes. Did I say that? Yeah. You're a pretty smart man. I'd well, anyway, so hats off to my buddy EB. I think he's the one who really, uh, uh put that in my head as far as context. But anyway, the context is, is that in 19 from 78 to 85, 86, barely into 87, there was crowds were great. A lot of money was being made, but there was a nice consistent decline in the territory industry. We were the last to hang on. Had it not been Memphis TV money, it it would, you know, I, I don't know. But with that being said in 92, this is 92, right? Yeah. 92. No, we're in 93. So oh, okay. Lawler right. debuts, uh, Lawler starts his Brett thing in a big way at King of the Ring. So that would have been June 93. Here we are okay. right before so, SummerSlam in August. Times were tough. And remember, as you know, you know, I, I went up, the, the money was bad. Yeah. And so, uh, you sort of got to pull, uh, as many tricks or hopeful tricks out of your butt to get people in seats. So, um, you know, a, a desperational promotional tactic, uh, to get, get, get people out there. So, so without knowing the ins and the outs and having fantastic recall, which I don't, but enough to know that we got to do something drastic and we have a WWF superstar and we're going to convince them, uh, that if I don't win, knowing that Lawler, believe it or not, Lawler probably knew the finish. How about that? Yeah, no doubt. Man, you think I love talking old wrestling? Well, the only thing I love more than that is helping people save money. But now, thanks to SaveWithConrad.com and this podcast, I can help my fellow wrestling fans save some cash, and we get to talk old wrestling along the way. Just ask Mr. Myers. He just left us a five-star review right there in Cincinnati, Ohio. Well, he heard us talking about it here on the show, gave us a shot over at SaveWithConrad.com, then he gave us this five-star review. Everything went well and was done ahead of schedule to make an easy purchase. 
Well, my man, it sounds like congratulations are in order. Congratulations on your new house. Thanks for listening to the podcast and thanks for checking out SaveWithConrad.com. Let's keep the good news going over to Wisconsin where Mr. Hansen writes, I couldn't have asked for a better experience than the one we had working with Jimmy. He made what could have been a stressful process incredibly easy. He answered all of our questions immediately and he got us a fantastic deal. I cannot recommending refinancing through First Family Mortgage enough. Save with Conrad to the rescue, sounds like, boys and girls. Another five-star review. Thank you very much for that, Tim. We also want to keep this good news train going. How about Utica, Mississippi? Friend of the show, Super Dave, writes, Conrad went out of his way to save me money. Congratulations, Super Dave. I saw you write on Twitter that you're going to save more than $100,000 thanks to SaveWithConrad.com. Can't thank you enough for your faith and confidence. What about up in DeSoto, Missouri? Ellen would write, everyone involved in the transaction from start to finish was very helpful. Every question I had was answered five stars. And when it came to her likelihood of referring us in the future on a scale of one to 10, she gave us a 10. Uh, And so did uh, Mr. Christopher over in Missouri. He was writing, we were able to knock seven years off of our loan. Jimmy made everything easy. Five stars. Man, there's good news coast to coast at SaveWithConrad.com. And there can be great news for you right now if you go get a quick quote. You see, you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. And whether you're stuck in an apartment and feel like you're a part of that lease life forever, do what some of our listeners are do and make a decision to get out of that apartment today. Don't believe what you're seeing on TV. You don't have to put 20% down and have an 800 credit score. We're routinely helping our podcast listeners get out of their apartments and into new homes. And they're doing it with little to no money out of pocket. And oh, by the way, all the way down to credit scores in the 500s. But here is some perhaps even better news. If you're a homeowner right now, what about a little summer vacation from house payments? You won't have to make your June or your July payment. You're done until August 1st. And come August 1st, you're going to have a better mortgage. We're going to show you how to take advantage of these once-in-a-lifetime rates and use it to almost hit the reset button on your financial outlook. We want to help you get rid of all your credit card debt just like that. You know the interest is outrageous. It's eating you alive. Let's get a fresh start. Let's knock it out, show you how to skip a couple of house payments, maybe take the family on a vacation. But come August, man, we're going to get serious about getting out of debt. We're going to cut years off of your loan. We have routinely helped our listeners say five, six, seven, eight hundred bucks a month. But in the process, we also show them how to pay their house off faster. You heard Super Dave, even saving more than a hundred thousand dollars. Find out how much money you can save right now for free. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And man, if I can't help you save some money, I won't waste your time. Seriously, check it out. Savewithconrad.com. The reviews are in and it's five stars, baby. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Oh, and I should mention there's more than one way to get a hold of us. You can even talk to a live person. Just click the live chat button in the bottom right-hand corner at savewithconrad.com. Or if you're old school like me, man, just give us a call and we'll even pick up the tab. It's toll free at 888-425-0105 or shoot me an email. It's conrad at savewithconrad.com. But if you do send me an email, be sure to include your name, especially if you have a gimmick email and your phone number. And uh, I'll hit you up, man. Let's save some money at savewithconrad.com. So let's keep it going here. Your first singles match with Owen is uh, January 20th, 1994 in Torrington, Connecticut. Of course, we're talking about your first singles match for the WWF. Owen gets the victory. You know, let's talk about just your first impression of working in a WWF ring against Owen. So we're no longer, you know, sort of doing a gimmick match in your home territory. We're in Connecticut. 
So this is his territory. So to speak, you're the new guy. You're the new kid on the block is, you know, when sometimes guys say, man, I knew from, as soon as we locked up, this guy had it, we clicked, whatever. What was your first impression of working a match with Owen here? Uh, if my memory does serve me, correct me that, that either the first time in Memphis or the second time our ring mat in Memphis, it was all bungled up, but it was an easy bumpering, yeah. but it wasn't the safest as far as the canvas, um, getting up to the WWE Owen says, well, <laughs> I guarantee our mat's going to be all right, but this ring's going to be harder than hell for you. And I said, yeah, I've worked. I mean, it, yeah. So, so the rings were di- drastically different, but, but Owen, it was a, uh, Live event match, uh, quasi house show, <laughs> uh, but easy. It, it, I mean, he's Owen was one of the guys that, uh, and you just sort of have, I'm just trying to think of an example, but, but like as good of a talker and, and Robert Fuller was a good worker. And maybe this isn't the best analogy. You would never classify Tennessee stud as being smooth in the ring. Right. And personified smoothness. And, and when I say smooth, I think there's guys that are light that, that it just doesn't look good. Owen knew how to work. It was smooth, but it was snug. Uh, he didn't mind knocking the hell out of you. Uh, he was tight with everything. He could obviously handle himself, wrestle, but he said, also could get right into the half line and, and weave everything together. Uh, Owen, it goes without saying, um, really, really, really talented. You know, sometimes people hear the word snug or they hear the word stiff. Let's just do plain speak. He didn't hurt you. Did he? No, gosh, no. Yeah. Uh, I I wanted to ask too, you know, you you sort of talked about, all right, our canvas was in rough condition, but the ring was a little more forgiving than the WWF ring. We've always heard that those WWF rings were like concrete and uh, Jr. always says something like, well, that's because they had those rings made for Hulk Hogan and King Kong Bundy, not. Owen and the one, two, three kid. And I've heard the, for lack of a better word, the rings that are used in Tennessee and and for that matter, Georgia and Alabama, those are what would be sometimes referred to as a Southern bumping ring. And they even had a different sound. What did you refer to those Southern rings as? Well, mm, would I refer to them as, yeah. I mean, how would you say, oh man, their ring sucks. It's hard as a rock or it's concrete. What I, I wish we had, did you, did you call it a Memphis ring or a oh, Southern I, ring or I, I, I called what we worked in a wrestling ring and, and I, like there was an old ring in, in Blyville, Arkansas, man, you are really getting into territory stories and what this is episodes about Owen dude. But anyway, uh, I, I, I call them, I said, it's like a boxing ring. Cause if yeah. you've been in a boxing ring that they're not made to bump, there's no and give none, none. And, and so that that's where in the, you know, if you're, if you have a little give, but you can't be too trampoline or cause you can't run it. Yeah. So there's a fine line. And, you know, that's another thing that as a, as a kid, I got to learn those tricks of the trade and it's not really that, but, but how to construct a ring. And I remember in the TNA days, uh, some guys would come up and say, you, you really know how to do this. I'm like, yes, I, I know how to do it because there, there is a, a little bit of an art that you don't want it too bouncy, but that you want it bumping and you want the sound because the sound is that subtlety that, you know, a, a boxing ring doesn't make any sound. So not only does it hurt, it looks like shit. Uh, <laughs> and it's just all together, but, but that was a, um, a, a WWF ring in, in the early nineties and legend has it. 
The only reason it changed had nothing to do with the size of the talent. It's that uh, the chairman actually had to get in the ring and start taking bumps. And he's like, oh, my God, <laughs> we got to change this. And it was changed. That was the end of that. Let's talk about, um, you know, when it comes to the WWF style. There's been a lot of guys who came from the independence or they came from the territories or they came from WCW or ECW. And there would be a criticism that, Hey, this guy thinks he knows how to work, but he doesn't know how to work TV or he doesn't know how to have TV matches, or he's not a TV wrestler, or he doesn't know the WWE style was Owen ever at any point saying, Hey, Jeff, here's what they like here. Does that exist in that era for you? Owen would teach me subtleties. Um, can you give us an example? Oh, wow. Um, patience. Um, and I say patience in a match just, uh, and, and again, look in our small territory, the Memphis audience was different than the Louisville audience. So I had a foundation built that, okay, th there are different, uh, styles in different communities. And, 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 and again, I, I take it back to the spot shows you, you drive 90 down the miles road from Memphis and you go into a high school gym and they get wrestling once a year or maybe twice a year. It, it's a completely different vibe in the arena versus every Monday night. And that crowd says, all right, let's get to it. What's your story? So, so there's a little bit different. So going to the WWF, there weren't quote unquote, those weekly, uh, certainly not weekly, not even really monthly. So there was a little bit of, 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 of that mindset, but, but Owen, was one of the first guys to teach me on, on certain things that not relax, but just give it an extra long pause here. Um, let, let it seek into your audience. Um, uh, just, I think the, I don't know why, but the word patience keeps coming to, 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 to mind that look, he came from Japan background. And I think that's how he would, the conduit would be just have a little bit more patience and, and don't go, go, go slow down and, and, and slow down just a little bit. Um, me, me and Sean, um, Michaels, when I got up there, I can remember him. He, he, I mean, literally come through the match and especially in that early 94, uh, and I'm, you know, Owen, different guys that I knew would walk past me coming through after doing an enhancement match. And they just give me that. I mean, 22nd comment, Remember when you do this, slow down, look at that camera, slow down, use your handheld little things like that, that, that didn't need to be any deep explanation, but I could probably, if I sat here, thought about it, think about four five, six, maybe more than that of little things that Owen would pull me aside and just say, think about it this way. And, and it just clicked. It resonated in my mind. You're not the only, uh, Jarrett going North around this same time. Your father comes in as what I believe Bruce Pritchard called a consultant. Of course, in the background, Vince McMahon's steroid trial is happening. Um, was, was your dad a, a fan of the hearts? Owen Hart specifically. Huge, you know, just, it was, if you look back over, you know, even my dad's in ring history. Um, there weren't a lot of quote unquote. Now Lawler liked to book monsters and creative characters and all that, but this was never a, I, I think the term used back in the day was a big man territory. It just wasn't really a big man territory. I mean, of course the big guys here and there came through, but when you look at Dutch Mantel and Bill Dundee and Jerry Lawler and Stan Lane and Steve Kern and Ricky and Robert and midnight express and PYTs, you know, when you sort of look at the, 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 
the lineage of this territory. It goes without saying, my dad always loved action and story and emotion. And, and, and so <laughs> when you look at Brett and Owen, they had all of that. They had the lineage. They could wrestle. They could tell stories. They could cut promos. They looked at the business. And again, you have to sort of go back to context as queen. The, the, you know, we'll call it the, the ice cream bar era or the cartoon era of the 80s that, that was so different to the territory days that, that there wasn't a lot of wrestling going on. There just wasn't, you know, um, and, 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 and hats off to them. But, but you, you look at the, the, the Hogan run, um, there was a, a simple formula, and the formula didn't involve a lot of wrestling, so to speak. Uh, and so Brett and Owen, uh, my dad was huge fans. I mean, really big fans uh, of, of both of them. Do you think, uh, your dad had any sort of hand in creative at all for the, the Owen Brett feud, uh, Owen's going to turn heel on Brett at the Royal rumble. So you two were sort of against each other, uh, when you first come in, but now you're on the same side and Owen really has probably his career moment up to that point, beating his brother, Brett in the opening match at WrestleMania 10, would your dad have had a hand in any of that in the way it was positioned for Owen? You know, again, I wasn't in the room. And I can relate to that conversation or, or that statement in so many different ways. But, um, you know, I would see my dad at TVs and that's about it. Cause he's living up there and driving home. And my, nine, my brother, nine years younger that time, uh, was, uh, I think that would either been middle school or early high school, but anyway, my dad was trying to get back home for football games and we didn't see a lot of each other, but when we would see each other at TV, but I, I remember multiple times during that lead up to it, he loved the storyline and would talk about it. And he was on the creative team to my understanding <laughs> and my recollection. It was Pat, it was Bruce, it was my dad and Vince, uh, that were writing TVs. And so whether he, uh, ha had authority, uh, Vince, obviously ultimate authority, but he was a huge fan of it and, and often discussed that specific storyline because it was such a natural and, and Brett had come to me a couple of times out on the road talking about, Hey man, I, I really like what your dad was saying. And so, yes, he, he was involved in that creative. All right. Time out. You know, on our very first episode, I sort of atoned for all of my criticism of Jeff over the years. I think I used to call him the human fast forward button. Uh, I think some of that heat with me, that quote unquote, go away. heat was that I couldn't, Man, I just hated that J E double F J A double R. It was just, it was hard. I don't know, man. Hey, speaking of hard, this episode is brought to you by blue chew. And I got to tell you, it is the talk of the wrestling business. Uh, not just because we weave it into the stories here on the show, because it really works. I can't tell you how many of our listeners, myself included, have really enjoyed blue chew. Here's the deal guys. It's been a hell of a year. Uh, personally, I feel like I've aged 12 years over the last 12 months. And if you've been watching us on video, it probably looks that way. I'm getting a little more gray than I used to. I'm feeling the age a little bit, man. I'm going to turn 40 later this year. And I was ready to turn the volume up. Bluechew.com. Boom. Let's snap out of it, baby. Spring is here. Let's get sprung with blue chew. You see, blue chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredient as both Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. In case you've been living under a rock, here's the deal. Blue Chew's tablets 
help men achieve harder and stronger erections to combat all forms of ED. I want to be clear though. It's not just if you have a problem, no, no, you're wanting to put on a show. You need blue chew. Blue chew is an online prescription service. So no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations and no waiting in line at the pharmacy and it ships right to your door in a discreet package. Now here's the thing. The process is simple. You sign up at bluechew.com. You'll consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. Now here's the best part. It's all done online. You see blue Chew's licensed medical providers work with you to find the right ingredient and strength for your prescription. If you don't like swallowing pills, man, you got no problem here because blue Chew's sildenafil and tadalafil tablets are chewable. Blue Chew's tablets are made right here in the USA and they prepare and ship direct. So it's cheaper than a pharmacy. So if you could get extra confidence when it's time to perform, visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. We've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew for free when you use promo code MYWORLD at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com. The promo code is MYWORLD to receive your first month for free. And we want to thank Blue Chew for sponsoring this podcast and so many great stories. See what all the fuss is about. Go get you some Blue Chew and use that promo code MYWORLD. Let's briefly talk about WrestleMania 10. I know we're going to talk about it another time, but it's interesting how you talked about how uncanny your lives are, you know, both in the business, both growing up multi-generation in the business, your dads are both big promoters, et cetera, et cetera. Now you're with the same company and he's probably having the best career moment he's ever had beating Bret Hart, you know, who is sort of a made man at WrestleMania 10, but your match gets cut at the last minute, allegedly because Sean and razor go long. This is supposed to be your first WrestleMania in a big moment and it doesn't happen. Do you remember having conversations with Owen about that? I mean, it feels like sort of the best of times, the worst of times, right? You know, Owen in his fun, loving way. Great match, Jeff. Hey, shrinkers. Great match. Hey, hey guys, you tore it down tonight. Oh, you didn't work. But I mean, it was, it was that kind of chatter afterwards. It was, um, Sean and, and, and Scott tore the house down and it wasn't allegedly, you know, I can remember all of us stretched and warmed up and knowing the time and wow, they're going long and everybody back. It was a curtain sellout or a monitor sellout, if you will. And they're cutting and they're cutting and they're doing this and doing that. If I remember correctly, Savage was pacing in the background. Um, but you know, the, the, the time was getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And I, I remember going over the match earlier in the day, a 10 man tag. Yeah. Um, and I'll just say, what I had done the last leading up to that, this was a night off. It was going to be just a very simplistic, uh, man tag. It, it was really easy. So, um, I mean, it, it, it's not like, Oh my God, I was devastated. They cut that match because the, and I don't know if it was Asian or Goulet or whoever came up, t- told me. And I remember, talking to Savage and he wasn't happy. And he's like, dude, don't worry. You're going to get paid. And in my mind, like, okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I realize, you know, what's the old cliche. Uh, I think captain Lee used to say all that matters is the money and the miles or something like that. But you know, it's your first WrestleMania and WrestleMania is the super bowl of wrestling. You've been around wrestling for a, a long time and you probably had special gear made and it was going to be a, a special moment, but it gets cut. And then, uh, 
before we move on from WrestleMania, I do want to ask, what did you think of the Brett Owen match at WrestleMania? I'm sure you've seen it. Loved it. Uh, and it, it's one of those ones, the, uh, I still, you know, the finish, the holding on and, and, and they are so good at telling stories. The, another thing I would watch Brett out on the road in the main event matches. And I got to work with him on a couple of runs. I substituted for Lawler. I think that was at the end of 93. Um, anyway, watching Brett's style of, of being a baby face was so different than, than what I'd seen in Tennessee or even in Texas or even in Puerto Rico, Brett was the excellence of execution. And so how he built matches, uh, I learned a lot from. And then with the grandest stage of them all against the little brother and a real personal issue that they had built up so good. Owens, God, what a brat he was. I mean, he played that. And again, extension of his personality. He's the baby brother. He got into it. He, he just, that was a real, I mean, to me, an authentic storyline because everybody can relate to little brother, big brother and Owen getting that win and, and how all that went down. But yes, I loved it. It was a great, great match. And one of those ones that you watch it back today, it stands the test of time. Of course, after WrestleMania, the company does their usual European trip. And I think this is your first trip uh, over to Europe with Owen. Had you wrestled in Europe before prior to this tour? Uh, no, because this would have been 94, right? And 93 is when the vignettes played and it went up there. So, but previously you never made any trips to like European territories and work for auto or something like that. No, okay. no, 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 no Germany and, and UK scene was dead. You're, you're over there, you know, just a couple of weeks after WrestleMania is, uh, Easter 1994 and you're in Europe anything stick out special about that trip. A lot of guys remember their first trip to Europe. And, uh, I'm wondering if you have any stories of that trip. So look, the, the kid from Tennessee who had been to Japan and then back home, Puerto Rico and back home, and Dallas and Houston and San Antonio and back home, but to get a booking sheet and you're going to see London and Munich and Germany at that time, the WWE product was red hot and Brett was on the cards and just like, okay, I'm, I'm on a great tour. It's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of travel. Uh, but I can remember, uh, again, back in those days, getting a stack of tickets. And we had, um, you know, only, so a good crew uh, I, at those during that time. Uh, Kevin Nash, uh, who I was really getting to know during that time. I mean, you name it, uh, Sean, just the whole crew. But um, I can remember a flight that we had uh, from a German town to Tel Aviv. Um, and it was a big jet, but n- no first class on any of the jet. And so I, I, I mean, it was, we were sleeping everywhere and had a long bus ride. One of those deals, God, the travel back in those days, when, when you really drill it down and just think about it. I mean, it's unbelievable. It, well, it, but, and it's like, it's what, it's the only thing we knew it, it but anyhow, it, it was, it was a grind. Uh, but we went to, um, we had a two shot, uh, Israel tour in the middle of the European tour. Um, and, and again, Owen and Macho Man and um, another ad-free member, Kyoto, um, the, the, uh, Xbox Sean as the one, two, three kid at that time. Um, you know, we, we, we got to go and we wrestled in Jerusalem on Saturday, the day before Easter. Oh, my. Really cool. In a small venue. Um, 
and that was, you know, from a cultural standpoint, getting off the plane and getting through the airport and checking the bags, it was, you knew you were in a different country you, and, and Germany was that way to, uh, uh, to a degree as well. But, you know, traveling from London to, to, to Germany was culturally different getting over into Israel and guns everywhere and guards with whatever they are, AK 47s. It, it was a, it was a different deal. Uh, but, um, yeah, that's, and I've got a picture, um, kind of random you up here, you may have seen it, um, that, uh, was taken on Easter Sunday, 1994, me, uh, Kyoto, uh, but me and Owen, Owen's the one who on the Saturday night after Jerusalem, uh, or on the way back from the bus trip, it was, we were coming from Jerusalem to Tel Aviv. Um, and, and they said, Hey, you can go, we can go back and tour, uh, on Easter Sunday and take the tour. And I didn't raise my hand. I wasn't into it. And Owen's the one. And I, uh, it's one of my fondest memories. He said, no, you're going. I'm like, Owen, we got a day off tomorrow. I'm sleeping in. Nope, you're going. And Savage was like, Owen, you is this really real? And then the tour guide who had a big pistol, I'll never forget that, him coming walking back on the bus, and he's arranging who's going and who's not going. He's got this big pistol uh, in his side pocket. I'm like, okay, this is real. Um He's on the bus and he's got a, a handgun. Uh, but anyhow, Owen's the one who sort of spearheaded us getting up on an early Sunday morning, taking a bus ride. Uh, and so that was a, a, a life experience that uh, we'll get into potentially later. But but if it hadn't been for Owen, there's no way I would have gotten up. But but uh, he said, hey, man, let's go experience it. It'll be unique. And we got to tour all the sites in Jerusalem on Easter Sunday, the most holiest of days. Uh, to the Christianity faith, but there's Muslims and 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 other people uh, with, with other beliefs that it's the market's open and it's just another day for them. And when you see, I I can re- remember Owen having that look on his face. We had to stop walking through, going from one landmark to another, and here comes this pretty big Greek or- Orthodox. I don't want to call it a parade, but it was like a march. But there were. It was a proceeding going through the middle of town, and there were literally people of not of the Christian faith darting in and out of the people marching. And Owen was like, "What is going on here? This is surreal." So uh, it was a good life experience. But 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 Owen uh, sort of uh, demanding that we all go, and Savage went. We had a group that went up, and it was a day that obviously I'm talking about it to this day that that uh, it's a life memory. And, and Owen's the one who gifted it. Well, how's this for a transition? Next up is a life memory for me. Uh, there's a match at, uh, King of the ring qualifying match, if you will, it's Owen and doink and you come out and try to kidnap dink, which is one of my all time favorite, most hilarious wrestling moments. Uh, what do you remember about trying to kidnap dink? So I had a lot of fun with dink to this day, tiger, uh, every time I seem I give him a good cussing for old time's sake, um, because Tiger, yeah, he's an old timer, and 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 he had great timing. Uh, but a lot of times, I don't say he went into business for himself. But no matter what me and Doink were doing in the ring, a lot of times Dink would get preoccupied with the fans and entertain them. And I'm like, hey, you little bastard, get over here, and you're distracting from the match. So me and Dink had a good re- relationship from the from from day one, and so. I got to play the, the the fake dink that time on on one of the uh, syndicated shows. So, you know, me being involved in that and Owen, 
Owen wouldn't. I'll just say this. He, he wasn't the biggest fan of, of, of wrestling a clown. I'll just say that. <laughs> well, that, that skit that y'all did at the end of, uh, April with you and Lawler and you're dressed up like doink. We got to talk about that another time. Cause I just oh, couldn't help myself. I Googled it and it's hilarious. You and that whole get up. We'll, we'll- I love doing that. I, I love doing that. That, that, that was, uh, again, get, getting to get outside of the quote unquote, Jeff white me, baby face Jarrett. And I got to put on makeup and, and, and I love that kind of stuff. Why adfreeshows.com? It's simple. It's early and ad-free. Why wait for your favorite shows to drop when you can listen as soon as they stop recording? There's no need to wait. You can access it all before anyone else can. Plus, no ads. No one telling you what to bundle or how to keep that man part standing tall. None of that. It's just straight content from all your favorite hosts, including Jeff Jarrett, Eric Bischoff, Kurt Angle, and the rest of the team. That's not all. You also get immediate access to watching their reactions live on video as well so don't put it off any longer do it now you won't be disappointed start enjoying all the podcasts you love early and ad free at adfreeshows.com you know 94 is probably the peak of his wwf run at this point he's working a lot with his brother brett he's going to win the king of the ring just like his brother did the year before he's even going to take on brett for the world title at SummerSlam in a, in a steel cage match Meanwhile, you're not exactly having the best 1994 ever. You are having some high profile matches, but not a lot And the King of the ring. Um, you lose to the, uh, one, two, three kid before Owen beats him in the second round. You're working with uh, Mabel at SummerSlam. Are, are you talking to Owen as, as sort of a, a mentor, a confidant, the, the senior player, whatever you want to call it. What's your relationship like with Owen when He's sort of peaking and it feels like you're trying to find your footing for lack of a better word. Owen's a guy that, and a lot of times I, I like Sean and Owen were two guys that I could go to, but I, I'm going to go back to the word patience. When they sort of laid out Vince's mentality and, um, which was very foreign to me that in Memphis, you, you bring a guy in and you're looking at about a three to six month stay. And then they move on. That's sort of a territory churn type deal, but Hey Jeff, 94, it wasn't, I didn't say in my brain, 94, but we're going to bring you in, run these vignettes. And then Vince had that conversation with me. I mean, right when I went on the road, Jeff, we're going to build you and we're going to build you and we're going to build you. And I'm like, okay. And, and that was, that was what the whole process was. So did a storyline with doink. I ended up, you know, look, live events or house shows, whatever, Heels get beat every night, but the whole process of building the double J character and Owen was a big part of look, Hey man, I'm in the main event here. He didn't say this, but it was about, I was the main event here, but remember it wasn't that long ago. I was tag teaming with a bird and he would say those little, little, little jabs here and there. So having the patience and um, again, knowing the reaction that the double J character was getting and the build and where it was going, uh, but also having, having that, uh, quasi big brother, but, but, but also buddy who kept everything, uh, you know, he, Owen would laugh at me when I would, uh, get to a building and be washing out doing makeup and after we put those tights on and Jeff, you having fun. Can I help you with that? Hey, come here. Let, let me, let me, you know, just anything to keep the day light. But, um, Owen was one of those guys that would just, he, he, 
he would take 30 seconds or 45 seconds and be real serious. And, and all, that's all it took. You knew, okay, he cares. I didn't say that, but I definitely felt it. He's helping me here. Are you talking to him about not just wrestling stuff, but life stuff? You know, I don't know how personal you want to get, but you obviously went to Jerusalem with him and, and, and on Easter. So it feels like, you know, faith and family and all that other stuff would have come into play. Are, are you guys talking about real life stuff or is it mostly just business between the two of you at this point? No, and, 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 in, in totality is from, you know, um, so we first bonded in 92 and he passed in 99. So out of that seven year uh, friendship, I'd say 10%, maybe 20% was wrestling talk. And the rest was life talk, wife, kids, brothers living in life. Uh, Hey, what do you think about this? And you know, the, the, he, he, he's the one who, um, he actually really helped me understand Canadian culture that I would ask him because it was different. I, I it was, you know, it, it, it is it a, it, it's a, it, it, you know, Canadians have different mindsets than Americans. And I've always um, looked at it through the eyes that Owen taught me always. Um, and, and so, no, we, we talked about a little bit of everything, but, but, you know, um, getting into a town, Owen, there, you know, there's a Dr. Uh, Roma scavenge, you know, Owen was legendary about, um, not renting cars, not checking bags, um, not getting hotel rooms, uh, very thrifty with his money. And believe me, I, I was uh, a fan of and admired that, that mentality uh, uh, very much so. So we talked about everything but wrestling, but the moments that we did talk wrestling, I think that's probably in relative. I mean, that's why they jumped off the page because it would be short and sweet, candid, direct, um, and, and would tell me exactly what I needed to hear. And I never even thought of it. It was I never looked at Owen as as, as being critical of, of, of ever of my work. You know, other guys, different things. Oh, that's terrible. That's you know, it's it's all in the delivery. So Owen had a had a very uh, uh, what do you say bedside manner? I yeah. don't know. Yeah, but he he really had knew how to deliver. But we talked about everything but wrestling. So Faith, family, you name it. I'm curious. You said. And I had heard the thing about, he didn't check a bag. He just did a carry on a, you know, cause you wouldn't get hit with a bag fee, but B it meant you could get on and get off faster last time at the airport, but he didn't get a hotel room and he didn't get a rental car. So he didn't get a rental car, meaning he rode with somebody else uh, who maybe had a better deal. Uh, and maybe he offered to drive or whatever, but how did he not get a hotel room? I've heard some people like Foley over the years would stay with fans and sleep on their couch. And I've heard other guys who would quote unquote, heal a room. I think is what Arn would call it, where he would just sleep on the floor. What was Owen's strategy for travel with regard to rental cars and, and hotels? If I remember correctly, and somebody's going to correct me at some point, but Owen, not checking a bag really didn't have to do with financial side of things. I don't think we were charged that, but the, the, it's almost like his mindset. He would leave on a 10 day tour. Conrad, I kid you not. I've got two bags and a briefcase or whatever you want to call it. Owen would have a duffel and a midsize bag, a small bag, tights, boots, shirts, clean underwear. I mean, that's it. That's how he traveled. But, um, when you would come down baggage claim back in those days, it, it's almost as if there's a group of fans here. There's, there's people there. Oh, that person has got to be driving Owen. So he had people, if you look at the continental 
uh, 48. He had, and, and we'll include the Canadian provinces. Uh, he had it divided up and I could go down a list of his friends, quote unquote, drivers, quote unquote, uh, uh, he 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 figured it out. <laughs> he he figured it out. So he would have a ride, most of the time a meal. Um, he didn't spend any money. I mean, no money on the road, which is amazing. Over in Japan, they call that sponsors. Owen had American sponsors. Well said, Conrad. That's why you get paid the big bucks. You just <laughs> <can>. <laughs> yes, he had them. He, no, he, and he had them in Germany. He had them in uh, the UK. He had them globally. It was quite an amazing feet. Uh, talk to me about Owen as a river, you know, you're, you're doing some of these long tours, you know, 10 days here or there in America or abroad. Uh, what are some of the best ribs that you saw Owen pull on these tours? You know, and I've, the, 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 the one in San Jose during the Ahmed Johnson match was funny and I'll let you pick one, but, but his day to day, he got Jim Duggan out of his underwear, um, uh, to fight in a lobby. Um, th- there's, there's so many, the, 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 the very, uh, on, uh, so May 22nd, 1999 in, in Chicago, uh, I talked about that in my hall of fame speech, um, that, that rib, um, the, the one that, and I don't know if, if I've shared this with you, but, but, uh, it, th- to me, this is always the most simplest way that Owen could turn a Boeing flight or a car ride or whatever it may be, but it was so spontaneous and road dog used to get so tickled because Owen would want whoever he's playing with in his circle of friends to take it just as serious. And, and, but he's getting a passerby and at this point it was a uh, stewardess. And as the pilot, we're leaving, I guess, LA or San Diego and the pilot's going over the flight path. And he says, uh, we're going to go northbound and this and that. We're going to be flying over San Bernardino. So it just came out of his ma- the, uh, the the pilot's mouth at about that time. The stewardess. Now we're settled into the flight, but in our, into our seats, but we hadn't closed the door. And and just the word San Bernardino was said, and Owen goes, "Hey, ma'am, 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 come here, come here, come here." No, now and like it's it's like that thing where you go, "Wait, what is he? This is uncomfortable." But Owen would like grab your attention. And he'd say, like, with no rehearsal, and he would just point, like, over at Road Dog. Road Dog says you spell San Bernardino with two R's. Do you? And the lady would go, well, it's San Bernardino. No, tell me right now. I want to know. And the lady's sitting there like, this guy's asking me how to tell San Bernardino, and I've got to close the door up here. And so Owen said, well, go do your job. Come back when you're done. So all of a sudden, okay, we know the ribs on. So the boys that are in the seats already know, okay. Owen is getting settled in and we're going to get the lady to self spell San Bernardino a couple of different ways. So here she comes back through there and she tries to spell it. And of course, Owen, if she says there's two R's, Owen goes, I think there's actually two D's and one R. So it goes on. And by the time Owen is getting into the rhythm of this, he's got other passengers chiming in and Owen will say, Hey, 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 it's uh, please. I'm talking, uh, Stay out of my conversation just to make people on edge and make them feel just enough uncomfortable. Like, is this guy, is this guy for real? Yeah. <laughs> is he really wanting to know? But I mean, he would take it to the degree. And then the, the, this is where I look, <laughs> I mean, he would say, ma'am, go get me a pen and paper. I, I do better when I, when I write this out. So he gets it. And of course he gets the napkin and on purpose, 
Owen tears the napkin with the ballpoint pen because he says, I'm nervous and I'm trying to write this out. Can you go get me some paper? I can't find paper. We we go ask the captain right now. And the lady's like, you want me to go ask the captain of the plane for a piece of paper? And Owen's like, go now, now. And like, what? (laughs) I mean, so Owen could, and and look, this may not sound funny and kind of, but, but just the meticulous nature Owen would go to pass the time. And of course it's an hour flight and he's gotten, I got two seats down. Can you get out your briefcase? Oh, no, my briefcase is under a jacket. Owen says, well, look, I really need it. Please, can, can you get it now? And, and the way he would inflect different things to make you go, okay, he really wants it now. We better do it. Just that's Owen. It was completely harmless ribs, but taken to the point where you go, he is really doing this, and he has to only be doing this to entertain himself. Yeah. And that was the truth. Owen passed the time. But at TV's, um, challenge tapings, uh, and, and I'll stop at this, but I'll just tell you this one other one, Conrad. So we used to do uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday tapings, challenge tapings on Wednesdays. And look, you've done three days of TV in the hard ring. Um, a lot of guys, uh, you know, a Brett or a Sean or whatever, a couple of times I was in it, but you had to stay and do the Coliseum home video match. That's where the very last matches on the challenge taping. So by the time you're at three days of taping, there's a bunch of people around the monitor watching and Vince and Pat and everybody's tired. But, uh, and Davey, uh, boy, uh, Owen used to love to do this, but you remember edge, not the wrestler, the, the shaving cream that, you know, those big bottles of edge you get. And when you squirted it, it had a good little, uh, trajectory. It wouldn't just ooze out. It would like shoot out. Owen would get that. And when you would put it on the back of people's back and he would stand off and spray through uh, a crowd of people and get on somebody's back and it would just be edge. But if you sat there long enough, it would blossom up into shaving cream. Owen was uh, had a lot of fun with that late at times. If he ever found a spray bottle, he would uh, walk up to somebody and act like he sneezed on them and freak people out. And he would do that with like people that worked at buildings and he would all immediately apologize, just little fun nature things that were completely harmless, but he would have you, he would entertain you that. Uh, uh, it was funny to, to a lot of us. It might not have come out funny on no, the podcast. No, it was but- hilarious. Give us one more. You said you, just one more. Let's do one more. You got another? So, so the San Jose story to me is, is so good because like, we're still talking about it today, but if you were there, it, it's like, Owen, you really got balls, dude. I mean, you you are really taking this. So it was a live event, so no TV cameras and all that. So we rolled into town, everybody in the different dressing rooms. But, you know, you come out basically at the end zone on one end or another, uh, live event. Again, back in those days, no, very little production. But in the middle of the building, hallway that, you know, basically where guys come on and off the ice for hockey, there was another thing where you could sit and watch the matches. Well, on the wall back in those days, it's like an intercom system. And Owen found headsets that uh, the security in the building would use from time to time to communicate. Days, you know, cell phones weren't a thing. And, and so Jack Lanza was the agent and Jack with his cigarettes um, had the matches and you go over it and Owen again, passing the time and, one thing led to another. Owen found out that you could actually talk to the guy running the music up, up, uh, up top, up in the, one of the skyboxes and all that. So it's a production slash security headset of all channels. What well, Lanza wasn't on any of those. He, he, there was, he just ran the matches and he did that from 
not the gorilla position, but just from backstage. All right. You're up, you know, so the list of the matches came out, everybody would different watch, watch different matches. Well, <laughs> Ahmed Johnson, uh, took things very serious and, and, and Owen knew that. And look, Owen got along with everybody. I mean, he just did. Uh, um, it didn't matter Owen, whether it was, it did, it didn't matter. Owen was good natured and got along with everybody at all times. You never saw him in a bad mood. That's, that's the truth. You saw Owen in serious moods, but, but, and, and he would take the business very serious, but not in a bad mood. But on this particular day, Ahmed goes to the ring and the Pearl River plunge and that music hitting. So literally Ahmed's music starts ding, ding. And you know, it's a live event and certainly wasn't sold out in 94 by any stretch of the imagination, but about maybe three minutes into the match in a very quiet lockup, there was nothing going on in the match, just a real simplistic early going on in the match. Owen gets on the headsets. Now, granted, there's probably eight or 10 of the boys watching the match. And lands it down at the other building. He walks out, sits, puts a chair right by the entrance, and he's smoking his cigarettes, watching the match. And and Owen gets on headsets and says to the production guy, "Hit the music." And you can just imagine the guy go, "What? What? The, damn it! I said hit the music." Sure enough, <laughs> three minutes into Ahmed's match, Ahmed's magic music hits. <laughs> and it plays just long enough for people to react. And Owen says, damn it, kill the music. That's enough for now. And sets the headsets down and, and everybody scrambles because we know, okay, Owen's, Owen, Owen has cranked this one up. Sure enough, <laughs> comes back down. They get the match going. Owen does it again. Well, by that time, it, it doesn't take rocket science. Lanza goes, okay. Something's going on. One of the boys, and here comes Lanza walking down the hall. He's looking around. He's like, okay, I know something's up, but nobody's around. He goes back. Owen proceeds to do this, and about the fourth time, and the guy, Owen's coaxing the guy in production all said, hey, great job, great job. We're going to do this again, but set the heads right down. Anyway, Lanza comes around the corner, and he, <laughs> I mean, he knows, Owen, damn it, quit. That, that's enough, but, but oh, the rib was in. Ahmed was mad, mad. You know, you can imagine during the middle of the heat, Owen has the music playing right in the middle of the comeback. Owen, Owen knew when to pick the opportune spots. And that was Owen. I mean, the, the, the Ahmed Johnson hitting music in San Jose and somebody on Twitter, I think one of our ad free family, uh, he was actually there that night, but it was the most uncomfortable, awkward scenario that Owen turned into a gut wrenching moment. And of course, by the time the next night happened and the next night happened, I'm sure the story was completely embellished, but I was there and witnessed it and could not believe it at first, but I was crying laughing about the third time it hit. That Owen would, and Owen would keep that straight face. And even, I mean, like, if Owen was with us to this day and Lanza came up to him and said, Owen, look, it's been, been 25 years. Will you come clean? Owen would go, Jack, I just can't believe you would ever accuse me of doing something do you really think, come on, Jack, I, I wouldn't do that, especially during Ahmed's with a straight face. I would, I mean, that was Owen. I, I wasn't there. Uh, I didn't rib. I don't like to rib and, and I don't play ribs. All, all those things, but that was Owen. It, it was great. Tremendous. Thank you for sharing those. I think, <laughs> I think the Ahmed one is probably my favorite, but I could see him doing the San Bernardino thing. Like in my mind, you painted quite the picture. 
Well, it, it, here's the thing that, that um, I can't tell you how many times, like when I first started doing that stuff. So uh, uh, Owen taught me that, that nature of ribbing. And then in the early days of TNA, JB with Jeremy Borash, he would go, oh boy. He, he, and, and he's like, and, 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 and later on is like, JB, would go, you're, you're doing the Owen. So w- whether it's ordering, you know, f- Owen would, you'd walk down and sit at Den- Denny's and the lady would come up and say, hi, can I take your order? Owen said, yes. So, and he'd point across the table and say, this guy wants meatloaf and just start ordering for the guy. And we're like, what? And Owen would order for half the table. And then Owen goes, okay, they changed their mind. I'm sorry. And the poor lady had just taken down like five orders again, harmless, but just ultimate chaos and confusion. But uh, me and Jeremy and and others. um, So Owen's legacy of ribbing. um, Look, I I don't know how many times going to Mexico that Karen wanted to literally like Jeff, you don't shut up right now. Like I would get her at the boiling point because she's like, stop. You're not funny. You think you're funny. You're not funny to me. I'm like, but guess what? You're the only one on the bus not laughing. So it is funny, Karen, anyway. But uh, yeah, that was all straight out of Owen's playbook. Let's, <laughs> let's talk about some uh, in-ring stuff. Let's talk about uh, Survivor Series. Your first one, you're teaming with Owen, Jim Neidhart, Shawn Michaels, and Diesel. You guys are taking on Razor, 123Kid, uh, Davey Boy, and uh, Fatu, and uh, Barbarian. Um, 10-man tag. Not the easiest thing. I mean, you said earlier it's easy, but it's probably hard to, you know, navigate that many guys in a match and look, look at that lineup. I think all, but Barb are all in the hall of fame. Are you enjoying, you know, working with Owen and being a tag team partner? How was Owen as a tag team partner in this situation? Is he trying to, in the middle of the pay-per-view, get everybody to crack up or is that reserved for house shows? Uh, Hey, it depended on the situation. I can remember Owen saying, yeah, Jeff's going to take this Chuck Norris thing. He loves it. Now, now, Chuck, get in there, get it snug. Look, Jeff, just walk right in there. He can't really hurt you. I promise you his kicks are phony on TV, but now Chuck, I mean, you know, Owen just having, he didn't care who it was and he would throw in those. Now, Chuck, what you do on TV is phony, but we really need you to kick Jeff. Just the complete absurdity silliness. Uh, but as far as the in ring, that, that 10 man tag, uh, it goes without saying, um, Sean's been a longtime friend, but that's another one of those things that look, you can do a 10 man tag, uh, a bunch of different ways, but when you're doing it in survivor series and sort of learning the, 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 the nature of the beast and the story we're going to tell and Pat Patterson's expertise involved in this, um, you know, as far as the physicality of a 10 man tag, it's, it's extremely less than a, obviously just by numbers alone, but the psychology and, and Owen, it was, uh, you know, and that was when Bob Backlund, if I recall correctly, the, the, the Bob, uh, Bob Backlund and Brett and, and the storyline. So really intricate stories. Uh, but this, uh, 10 man tag was built around ultimately, um, uh, Sean and diesel. So, um, it was a night off from a physicality point of view, but a lot of fun. And, um, Again, that was uh, my first real Survivor Series that, that um, you know, you, you grow up and see the Hulkamaniacs uh, against the Savage Crew and Mr. Perfect's crew. You know, the, 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 I'll call it when Survivor Series really burst on the scene, and Thanksgiving tradition, and all the pomp and circumstance that we went with that event. 
and there was, I don't say every match was a, uh, you know, elimination match, but just being a part of that with, from Jeff, the fan, the 12 year old boy who grew up watching the Thanksgiving day tradition and now being a part of it. Uh, it was pretty cool. There's another big moment coming for you right around the corner, Royal rumble 95, you win the intercontinental. Of course, we know what's coming uh, in your house. You're going to drop the belt to Sean in Memphis and then walk out. We're going to talk about all that another time, but very briefly, uh, did Owen have any sort of, uh, interaction with you about winning the title or walking out? Was he still somebody that, you know, you would consult with, or he'd give you the old attaboy when you win the belt. And do you seek his advice or counsel when you're thinking, maybe I should walk. I don't want you to tell the whole story. Cause you know, we'll be here five hours. We'll do it another day, but is Owen involved in any of those two pieces of your career? Not from a business perspective, uh, Owen, by this time, you know, the, the character of double J and the outlandish and over the top and roadie, you know, that, that didn't jive, um, you know, th- there were two different characters, but as far as, as a business perspective, no, me, me and Owen didn't have any discussions on that. When you do jump to WCW, you have, uh, uh some great success over there. Are you keeping in touch with Owen while you're gone or does this become more of a, well, we were work friends. Everyone listening to this has worked at a place and then not worked at a place. And while you're working there, man, you talk to those guys every day, even more than your own family. You know, you might, uh, you know, go have beers after work. You might go to lunch with them. You're probably talking about sports with them every day. And of course you're working with them, but then when somebody moves on and takes another job somewhere else, sometimes you just lose touch. And that doesn't mean you had a falling out with your old work friends. It just means they were a work friend. Was Owen your work friend or did you stay in touch with him while you were gone? I bet we left, I don't know, a handful of voicemails pre cell phone days. Yeah. I'm on the road. He's on the road. Uh, but that was about the extent of it. You know, it, it, it wasn't one of those, uh, again, our work life and, and our home life, it, it was just, I don't say impossible. Uh, but, but I don't think we went to extra links to find out what hotel he was staying in or whatever it may be. Uh, but may, maybe a handful of voicemails. Hey man, how you doing? That, that kind of deal. So you come back to the company in October of 97. Of course, everybody listening knows what happens the next month. It's the Montreal screw job. Before we talk about the screw job though, uh, was Owen one of those friends where even if you haven't seen each other for years, when you get back together, you just pick right up where you left off immediately. Yeah. And I was looking forward to that, um, in the negotiations going back, you know, obviously you sort of look at the landscape, uh, of, of how things are going. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was, it goes without saying, um, the year in WCW, uh, I, I wanted to go back. Um, and for a multitude of reasons, the structure of the company, uh, but, but friends like Owen as well. So you're back and, and not too terribly long after you return, his brother, Brett gets screwed. One of the more controversial, <laughs> a real controversial moment in the history of the business. Uh, Owen winds up signing a new contract for a lot more money. And, and Jim Ross has been pretty candid about saying, yeah, we paid him to placate him and to keep him and to make him happy. You know, we felt bad about what had happened and Owen has probably thought, man, now I'm not just Brett's brother. You know, we sometimes talk about, you know, what if there wasn't a, this guy, would we look at the brother differently? For instance, if Eddie Guerrero had never existed, what would people be saying about Chavo? Uh, but Owen now has that opportunity because Brett's out of the way. He could be the top guy. That's what we fans are thinking. 
what was Owen telling you about, well, they screwed my brother, but I got a big contract. So I'm sticking around. He, he we didn't get into the ins and outs of like the, just the specifics of the deal. I can remember having conversations with agents and, and, and others and again, my delusional optimism, but really, really optimistic about Owen's career that, okay, this is a real opportunity because no matter how you sliced and dice it, he was little brother. And, and, and we played this, or, you know, the story was played out on TV and naturally, okay, brother went South and a lot of controversy. And now all of a sudden, what a platform, I guess in those days, you could say I put on my promoter mentality mentality or booker mentality and what a great opportunity for Owen. It doesn't take long. You're getting to work with him. You attack him at the Royal rumble in 1998. We using Jim Cornette's racket and Owen actually eliminates you from the rumble Were there plans or at least thinking that, Hey, we might have a little feud between you two at this point that for whatever reason didn't happen. So that's 98 rumble. Correct. Yes, sir. Yeah, so, so when you look at how the business had exploded, now we're what is that? Three years into in the NWO, and two years into Austin three sixteen, and I'm I'm paraphrasing, but approximately, yeah. The Attitude Era, if not at its peak, it was certainly red hot. Yeah, I mean the night after is when Tyson shows up. Okay, so so. There you go, yeah. Conrad. Again, why you get paid the big bucks? Put it in context. But but character wise, me and Owen, you wouldn't say that we were the proverbial, you know, the attitude, uh, the, the 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 characters that were coming up, the Valvinas, the Godfather, and I'm just pulling names out of hats, but just the different style and all that, and that oh okay, so and I was doing that NWA thing, uh, which. Uh, I don't think any of us were elated to be doing it because it was all in water, but it, it was the ball we were given and I, we were playing with it. But, but I know that I was saying, wow, that, that would be fantastic if I could work a story with Owen, but it, I, I, I never, certainly there were never plans told to me or laid out or we're going this direction or that direction. It was another one of those things. Oh, you're doing this on Monday. It'll change next Monday and it'll change the next Monday. The only singles match against Owen you're able to have during this time is a European title match on Monday night, raw, February 16th, 1998. Uh, what do you remember about this match? If anything, and what were the major differences between this match versus the ones you were having back in 95 with Owen again, short, uh, that was on a raw. Yeah. Obviously what the pay-per-view was it the match? No, it was a raw and the match ends when Jim Cornette has some interference and Owen puts Jim in the sharpshooter. Yeah, and I don't even have complete recollection all of it. And the reason being is it was probably another six-minute Raw TV match that didn't have any meat on the bones. But uh, arriving at the arena and I got to work with Owen, it is a night off and the people are going to be super easy. Let's go tell the story. And I know we're going to have bells and whistles surrounding it. Uh, That really goes nowhere. You wind up leaving the NWA faction, which is a whole terrible episode for the future. You become a country singer again. Owen's going to join the nation. It feels like at this point, even though Owen, a lot of people thought, oh, well, given what happened with Brett, if Sean's got the belt, we can at least get a couple of pay-per-views out of that. It doesn't happen. And with him joining the nation and you sort of flip-flopping from the NWA faction to a country singer, it feels almost like you're just sort of floating at this point, like there's not a real firm 
creative direction for either one of you. Would you agree with that? Oh, I would agree hundred percent. Again, it goes back to both second generation wrestlers and in those days, uh, it, and during that attitude era, the in-ring product, as far as in-ring work was completely irrelevant on a few different levels, but also the, the, the characters around both of us. Again, we were still quasi viewed as new generation stars. It, it's that that's just sort of the fact, obviously hindsight's 2020, but me and Owen both were not had become really attitude era, uh, personas, so to speak. Let's talk about attitude era. You know, we, we had a really touching story earlier about you two going to Jerusalem and now we got people pointing at their crotches and yelling, suck it and middle fingers. And I'm going to kick your ass and beer baths and, uh, nipples flying around. And it's a crazy time in wrestling. Uh, did Owen ever talk to you about how he felt about the, the content of the business and how it had changed as long as he had been here? He wasn't a fan of it. I want to make sure because my, my mind drifted off there. Just hear that because it you, you were saying, did Owen ever talk to me about? Hey, Jeff, I can't let my kids watch this show anymore. Yes. It used to be wholesome entertainment. Now we got girls showing their boobs and guys yeah. saying suck it. It, it, and- it was what is going on. And I can remember telling Owen a story that I came off the road and there was a a, a deacon. I think that was his time, but a, a church member that had a big issue, like a really big issue with the, the product going on in the ring. And, and I don't say me going to the church, but, but there was a big, I mean, that's how living during that era and the shock TV that went on with it. And, um, the, the, it's hard to really, uh, in 2021. Uh, so, you know, somebody who's 30 years old now, or even 35 years old, they were so small it's hard to put it in context, but it was very, very much water cooler talk. No matter if you watched it or didn't watch it, the ratings against Monday Night Football, the box office attractions, Austin was red hot, Rock was coming into his own red hot, all Nash and Hogan. I mean, the business, uh, there was no streaming, all the obvious. So it was red hot. And 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 the direction that it was taking certainly was far away from Stu and Jerry Jarrett's vision of professional wrestling. And it goes without saying uh, some of the, uh, you know, R-rated, if you will, content didn't sit well with Owen at all. You mean Lawler didn't used to, Never mind. Uh, <laughs> SummerSlam, you lose your hair and uh, you're with Southern Justice. Owen hey, loses. Yeah. yeah, I was, I was so ready to get the haircut. Uh, Owen loses to uh, Ken Shamrock. And before you know it, the blue blazer is back. I remember seeing the blue blazer. Like it was yesterday at WrestleMania five and thought it was so cool that he did something relatively elementary these days, just a backflip off the top rope. But in the Hogan era, that was not something that was very common. So it's pretty cool to see, but he's back 10 years later here, October 12th. Uh, what did Owen think of the blue blazer returning and what did you think of the blue blazer returning? I had no real, um, and certainly my recall is not, is not there on, on having a definitive opinion other than this is about as opposite of the attitude area as you can get. There's something to it. And I can remember Ferrara and, and Russo and, 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 and just sort of the talk around it that Owens, the, the, the anti-attitude guy, not in those words, 
but that's what I resonated in my brain. Like, okay, this is, this is entertaining. He really believes this. He, he's not a big fan of a lot of things going on. So this is right up his alley. But uh, again, now to put it back in context, Monday night raw, uh, lots of things changed, you know, as went on and there were a lot of quick programs and quick title changes. And, you know, the, the business fundamentally from the new generation to the attitude era, going backstage to the pre-tapes and, you know, the, the DX invasion and just how the, the program was formatted was, was really, really different. So Owen being the blue blazer and, and, and connecting that dot, I had, I wasn't there in the late eighties when he's blue blazer. I just see the, the mask guy who's a superhero coming in and, 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 and not liking the scene. He's coming to save the attitude, uh, you know, s- save the promotion uh, of, of the disgust that he saw going on. Deborah debuts just one week later on October 19th. Um, when did you know that you two are going to be based around or going around, you know, sort of based on teaming together about the blazer? Was it based on you two having, you know, a real life friendship or, um, you, you have a similar look at this point now that you have short hair. I mean, hell, Zach Ryder even points out all the time that your action figure from Jack's was really just an Owen figure with a goatee. And uh, he, I guess that's accurate, right? I yeah. Mean, I mean, they didn't do. And really, if, you know, if I'm honest with you, I don't know that I would have invested in a Jeff Jarrett mold. You know, I I hated your ass. So I'd have been like, yeah, just put a mustache on Owen. Who gives a shit? You hated me then. I hate you now. (laughs) (laughs) No, chat me up though. You're getting to work with your old pal here and and Deborah's now going to be a part of the package. Um, is this fun or something that he's like, man, I don't know. Blazer teamed up before me and Owen teamed up. Oh, I don't believe that's accurate. I believe it's me and Owen. Yeah, yeah, not, yeah. Not Owen is the blazer. What I recall, though. Of, well, of, well, of, well, the gimmick is Owen's denying that he's the blazer. Let me jog your memory on that. So Owen's on the show. Yes. And so yeah, is Blue Blazer. But he's like, oh, that's not. It's the old Dusty Rhodes Midnight Rider gimmick. But, and me and Owen came together. And I can remember we got to Mania with it. But it's like they put us together. And we came through the curtain. And it was like. Oh my God, you guys tore the house down. What a match. You look great coming together through the curtain. You did this. And me and Owen chuckling like, well, what did they think? Did they think that we were going to be all in water out there? Because teaming with Owen again, smooth in the transitions. And we both grew up in the industry. We knew how to work tag matches. And I'll say this, there's a lot of guys to this day, but it's always been that way. I mean, guys, and when they would come through in the territory, that, that would go to the ring and, and, and really have two singles matches and a tag match. They didn't really know the transitions and Owen again, you know, whether it was growing up in the business or working in Japan or working with Coco or being around the WWF product for a long time, uh, or just having ring smarts, he knew how to work a tag match and, and, by, by, by my upbringing, I did too. So them putting us together, our, our in-ring work came so natural on so many things, but it caught people off guard. And me and Owen were amused by that. Always. We were always amused. Like, did they think we were going to be a terrible team together? Right. I mean, just it, I, I, that never really clicked in our brain. Was he hesitant to do the the whole pairing with you? I mean, obviously Deborah's going to be by your side and, and, and a really 
important part of the package, but the rumor and innuendo is they wanted to try to start maybe some sort of a, a, a love triangle type situation with Owen and Deborah, and he turned it down. The idea I, being I would love for, for a researcher or someone to look because going through the curtain, when we teamed, I don't believe it was ever me, Deborah Owen, as far as coming down the ramp, I, maybe it was, maybe, but Owen always made sure he positioned that I was in the middle. Deborah was on side, one side. He's on there. There was no interaction. He, he fundamentally believed that I respected that understood that, but he wasn't going to be seen as a, it was Owen Hart and Jeff Jarrett with Deborah. It wasn't Owen and Jeff with Deborah. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, uh, I'm not saying you guys are teaming, but I'm saying you, you're, you're, you're working together. You're in programs together. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the idea being perhaps Deborah could, could be, you know, that was common in storylines back then, you know, she's with this guy or she's with that guy or, oh, she's going to Sonny had done it very well. Just a few years prior, you know, who is she with now? And, 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 and the rumor, and I guess you sort of confirmed it. Owen wasn't about that life. No, sir. He, 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 he wasn't up for it under any stretch of the imagination. Um, and that was, and you know, maybe him and, 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 and Russo or him and Farrar or, or him and I don't know, Pat or, or others might've tabled it, but I would be willing to bet my life that Owen would have shot it down. He just wasn't in that. That's the deal. He, he wasn't going to do it no matter. And people knew that they, no matter what kind of money, he just wasn't up for it. He wasn't doing it. It's interesting, creative too. I want to remind everybody that we're talking October 9th, uh, October 19th, rather, uh, the Bradley center at Milwaukee. Uh, it's, um, 12,157 fans there that night. It's raw as war. Steve Blackman gets the win over Jeff Jarrett by DQ because the blue blazer interfered and attacked Blackman. And then Al snow comes to make the save, but he gets a guitar shot for his troubles. And the next time we see something with Deborah in a big way is uh, November 1st. And you're going to get a win over Val Venus. Uh, in a very short match, uh, two minutes and 26 seconds, but Deborah and Terry are going to get into it at ringside. And after the bout, Terry apologizes to Venus before announcing she's pregnant. And Venus says, uh, the baby's her problem. He wants nothing to do with it. And I bet Owen wanted nothing to do with any of this. Uh, but the next day you guys do a taping. Cause in this era, you would have a live raw Monday. And then on a Tuesday, you would tape for the following week. So the next week is Val versus Jeff Jarrett. The blue blazer interferes and crotches Val on the top rope. So he's still, as you said earlier, positioned to sort of be the savior from all of this nonsense that's happening in the world wrestling federation. Yeah. And I was just sitting here thinking about just recalling all that is that and I go back to my earlier statement and, and, and the first time meeting Brett, they had a viewpoint and I'm not saying right or wrong, but, but that I always was taught, I, I guess, and viewed it as I'm going to play a role. Right. And if it's an extension of my personality, all the better, but to really get into it, you got to get into it and believe that role. Owen had the same mindset, but he wasn't willing to play that role. Although he knew a hundred percent, it is a role or was a role. He just wasn't up for that at, at all. But um, the, 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 the blue blazer, he had fun with it. He, you know, him, Having to carry the probably the thing the most aggravating the most about the whole deal is I don't want to carry two sets of boots and he wrestled many a time with Owen Hart boots being on the no he would carry Blue Blazer what with the boot anyway he didn't like to travel with two pairs of boots 
He didn't because they were Owen Hart boots and Blue Blazer boots. But that's probably his biggest aggravation <laughs> during that during that uh, loop. Uh, November 16th, you're in Lexington, Kentucky at the Rupp arena. Uh, Steve Blackman and Goldust are going to beat Jeff Jarrett in the blue blazer. When Blackman pins the blazer with a martial arts kick, but after the bout, he's trying to unmask the blazer until he's double teamed, uh, by Owen Hart and Jeff Jarrett. So we're still trying to deny, uh, that, that Owen Hart is the blue blazer. Uh, I wonder who the blue blazer was that night. It's I'm sure it's just an extra or enhancement guy, but doesn't say, does it in your recall? November 30th, 1998, you're in Baltimore and uh, Goldust would beat Jeff Jarrett by DQ when Owen Hart, who was providing guest commentary for the bout interferes and attacks Goldust. And then moments later, the blue blazer appears and decks Owen with a clothesline and a shoulder block before revealing himself as Steve Blackman. So he, he wasn't the first fake blazer, but he is the second fake blazer. It's nice. The creative they've sort of woven in here of is he, or isn't he? Um, and, and I guess this is, you know, decent enough stuff. The debut of Owen and Jeff as a tag team happens on December 27th, 1998. Uh, it's a Sunday night heat win over Godfather and Val Venus. Was there ever a long-term plan for you guys? Do you think as a tag team, or was it simply just to stop in the road creatively? You just recalled something and jogged my memory. Is that what happens? A little sidebar with, yeah. with Mr. Eric or yeah. her jogging the memory. Yes, sir. Interesting because. I think at that point that the blue blazer was let's we, we tried the mystery and, and, and I'm getting the vibe of that recall that, okay, let's just go with Jeff and Owen as a team, but you know, okay. So we're doing the blue blazer thing. Owen doesn't want to get into whatever it may be. I, I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, we were team. So we teamed for the first time on heat, right? Yeah. December 27th. I should mention, cause this sort of, you know, supports your point that the blue blazer was trying to keep us guarded from some of the, uh, so we say risque content December 13th, uh, in Vancouver, British Columbia, it's the rock bottom pay-per-view we've got Goldust beating Jeff Jarrett by a reverse decision in eight Oh three. You originally pinned Goldust with a Russian leg sweep after Deborah interfered and, uh, Goldust, uh, was hit over the head with, with Jarrett's guitar. And then Shawn Michaels comes out, congratulates Jeff, sends him to the back and then gives Goldust the win by DQ due to the use of the guitar. And then he orders Deborah to strip down to nothing as the pre-match stipulation stated. And Deborah reluctantly begins to strip down. And then of course, here comes Jeff Jarrett and the blue blazer to help her cover up and take her backstage. So just when it feels like we're going to get, who came out and gave that step Shawn Michaels. Well, it was, it was going into it. And if I lose, you know, Deborah will get naked. Type yeah, but I'm just, it's curious if they pick Sean. Well, this is before he was, you know, no, I'm saying the heartbreak kid, but he de- doesn't sound like, well, he was the commissioner at this point. So he's no longer in the ring. He, he, had, re- he had okay. finished up at I WrestleMania 14. He's still, uh, he's you. living the lifestyle. He's not yet sort of been reborn. If you will, I wasn't even going there with that. I was just saying, why did they pick Sean? But if he's commissioner, he's commissioner. I didn't know if it was off the Sean. I don't know. Let's keep it going. Uh, very quickly. You and Owen win the tag titles over boss man and Ken Shamrock. It's a Monday night raw and the damn blue blazer gives you a little bit of help here. Uh, so yeah, now you're tag champs. Was there ever a team name thrown around for the two of you? There wasn't. And me and Owen wanted to stay Jeff and Owen or whatever it may be not the bookend tag team, you know, that type, uh, we weren't opposed to it, but we wanted to keep going, but I can remember 
from us putting us together and people being surprised. Oh, wow. Y'all make a good team. And then me and Owen, like, man, if they will just sink their teeth into it, DX was red hot at the time. We, we wanted to get into a, a, I mean, really sink our teeth into a storyline with a team and keep it rolling because, you know, me and Owen, and this is in the car rides or wherever it may be in the gym that we can get over whoever needs to get over as long as we leave, whether DQ, whatever it is, keep us with the belts. It would have, uh, we, we could have built equity in that. We were really, at, at this time, at both of our careers, um, I, I can say that, that we really were both invested. Let's ride this thing out. Let, let's, let's, let's go for the long haul of us being a team. You get the win on January 25th, 1999 on Raw in Phoenix, Arizona. Again, you beat boss man and Ken Shamrock. You hold the title for 64 days until you lose them to Ken, uh, Kane and Xbox. <laughs> but all these years later, that's your only tag team championship run in the WWF, right? You and Owen. Yes, that's it. Yeah. And, and, a, and a relatively small window. Uh, but, but, um, again, uh, you know, the attitude era being as hot as it was, but going out on the road and we got a chance to work with, uh, Brian and Billy new age outlaws. There, there were a couple of those that I just remember, wow, this is, you know, those guys were red hot. DX was hot. The business was hot, but me and Owen, uh, certainly, uh, enjoyed our tag matches. It's, uh, you know, I guess what you should mention, we have a St. Sa- Valentine's day massacre the next month, uh, D'Lo and Mark Henry are going to challenge you guys in Memphis. Uh, you haven't had the best record in Memphis with the WWF, but you get the win here. You also very briefly worked a match with the uh, public enemy during their cup of coffee with the WWF. I don't know when we'll talk about them again. Any memories of your public enemy match with Owen Hart? Now I knew Rocco and John, I, I, I knew, I knew those, those guys from WCW. Um, I loved them. I love their, um, I don't want to call it gimmick, but their energy in the ring. And they would both tell you, they, they weren't, uh, you know, the classic Matt wrestler. Uh, but a lot of fun and a ton of charisma. Um, and I thought really tailor made, uh, for a quote unquote WWF act, um, got nothing but love for those guys. Uh, you know, um, obviously demons and everything that goes with it that I can relate to, but I love working with those guys because they knew that, that, uh, they knew that I knew let's go out and we're going to work to your strengths and hide your weaknesses. Uh, it's Owen's last WrestleMania. And I guess really the last one you wrestled at 15 in Philadelphia, you guys are teaming together to defend your tag titles against Delo and test. It goes three minutes. So it's not exactly, uh, uh, a huge WrestleMania moment, but is it still a, a cool moment to say, Hey man, how's a tag champ at WrestleMania? I've been interviewed about, you know, different WrestleManias and, and, and all that. And I remember that, you know, the thing that always comes to my mind, Jimmy Miranda, uh, merchandise. Yeah. No this. And obviously me and Brian close through the years and always been close to the years, but he came up to me and said, let me tell you something about your boy. And I'm like, what's that? He said, he's the, and talking about road dog. I'm like, huh? He said, he's the number two seller tonight. Wow. I said, what? He said, only Austin beat him in tur- uh, uh, ticket t-shirt sales tonight, which I just like, Wow. Uh, but, uh, no, being in the festivities of Philly and mania and just being there and walking in as a champion, it, it was, a, I mean, 
two-minute match, three-minute match, there's still prestige that goes with it. In, in those days, everything other than a couple of matches all went under 10 minutes. So there was never time to lay out the big story. Uh, so whether it's two minutes or eight minutes, it's all one and the same in a lot of ways. Uh, but but being champion on a mania uh, to this day, you know, car- carried some cachet with me. You mentioned the road dog. I want to mention that, uh, you tag with Owen in his last match at Madison square garden in a losing effort to road dog and Billy Gunn And of course the brood, it's an elimination match. It's kind of surreal to think about. You look back at WrestleMania 10 and what a big moment that was for his career and your match got cut. Now you guys are here at MSG when the business is bigger than ever. And you don't know it at the time, but it's Owen's last match at MSG and, and you're his tag partner. Did you know that before I just mentioned it? No. And, and just when you, when you just think about the grand weaver, that it's one of those things that so many times I've looked back over my life, um, uh, and think if I would have just paused and thought through, but you don't know the future. I'm not saying Matt didn't know the future, but you know, damn, what a lucky guy. I got to be in Owen's last match at the garden mm-hmm. with all the history. You know, you think about Austin and Brett's match in the garden and you think about a WrestleMania 10 and just Madison square garden alone. So, uh, yeah, I mean, again, um, lucky, very lucky. I'm very lucky. When you guys dropped the belts to uh, Kane and Xbox, did you think that Hey, that might be the end of this tag experiment. And we're going back to singles or when did you know? I mean, I think your last pay-per-view match is, um, or Owen's last pay-per-view match is teaming with you against road dog and Billy Gunn. It was a number one contenders match at backlash. And of course the outlaws got the win. And after that, you know, we're, we're quickly going to start moving into more single stuff and more blue blazer stuff. Is there a discussion? I mean, does anybody ever sit you down and say, okay, guys, uh, we had fun with that, but now we're going to go into singles or does it just sort of happen? You show up and it's on the sheet and that's it. During this time you have to, again, so we sort of laid down the, 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 I guess you could say the blocks of Owen wasn't a particular fan yeah. uh, of the attitude, some of the content and specifically not a big fan of quote unquote, the puppies. And when that came out of the spontaneous combustion of the attitude era. It was right after WrestleMania, by the way, road dog first refers to Deborah, her situation as puppies. And that becomes Lawler's trademark spot. And it becomes a, a hot button word on commentary. That whole thing made him uncomfortable. Yes. Okay. It, it definitely. And, and, and when sort of drawing the, the dots together as, as a, as a performer, so to speak, and knowing Jerry, like I do, and, and knowing that, okay, Lawler latched onto that, but without the yin and the yang and the way Jr. is so freaking good of, of being the, 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 the straight man, the, the but, but with the straight man, does it really, I don't think does it does justice, the personality of Jr. of not all shucks, but, like Jerry, this isn't the place to be saying that they played off each other. So good. That's really what got it over. Obviously Deborah and the timing. And, and so we were headed down that direction. And so there was a real natural split uh, of me and Owen 
you know, and I didn't give it a, a, a conscious thought, but knowing you can always weave in and out, but dropping the titles and they were going a different direction with the tag titles and uh, Kane and X-Pac were, you know, uh, not all in water, but, you know, a unique teaming. Uh, I, I knew that at least momentarily uh, the, 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 the team of Owen and Jeff on screen uh, was, you know, but we, it, it, we didn't, we cared, but we didn't care. Our friendship was there regardless of who we tag teams. You know, I know this is weird, but I don't know another way to ask it. Did, did you guys ever get your wives together? Did Jill ever meet Owen's wife or family, or was it just two buds on the road? Two buds on the road. But, but what really unique uh, is that, that now Martha had, uh, she was working at the post office, but going back to school, getting her degree, um, Jill, you know, she, both of them were young moms. I'll just say that. Yeah. So, but no, I mean, she's in Calgary. Um, uh, you know, I didn't know there. like WrestleMania weekend when everybody sometimes no. comes in and brings families. No. no. Okay. Yeah. In those days there were some family members that came, but, but not a lot, not, not anything close like it is today. So once you guys sort of split up a little bit, you start a feud with Val Venus and Nicole Bass. Owen is going to start as the blue blazer feuding with the Godfather which really tells you all you need to know about his crusade against the attitude era. His, his feud is with a pimp. Um, yes. and, uh, you mentioned before it's pretty natural. When, when you, when you think about what the, the format of the show yes, and sex sales. And so you have the Godfather and his, his harem, then I'm paired with puppies, but we're, we're, we're heels that, 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 you know, I'm trying to, keep the puppies locked up and he's trying to shut down the whole train. It, it was two heels that were playing to our strengths that worked as the antagonist to the entire attitude era. I, that's, that's the things that me and Owen had had conversations. It really works. It worked as heels. Let's talk a little bit about, um, Owen in real life for a minute. You mentioned the other day, I forget if it was episode one or two that we did that Owen is building a house here. And Mm -hmm. you mentioned that he was talking about it a lot. What was Owen sort of conveying about his home life and what his short-term or long-term goals were with the business at this point? So Martha, uh, OJ and Athena, obviously, uh, they weren't newborns. They were four or five, you know, young kids, but, but up uh, if not in school, about to go into school, OG. Um, so, so he had a uh, piece of property, built it in May of 99. Uh, so let me just say, in, in the uh, winter and, and the early spring of 99, I was looking uh, for, for uh, a house to buy. Uh, I'll call it my dream home. But, you know, I was going from my starter home to I wanted to get over here on the lake. Conrad, where, where I'm at now. And Owen had found him a place, uh, I mean, land to start building a place. And he was in, you know, down the line with his. So he was building that home. So Owen wasn't, and people have asked me this, like, did he, so, so Owen was not comfortable, didn't like the direction, but also knew it could change. Also yeah. knew he could survive also knew that he didn't have to break his morals and, and he could stay intact. You know, he could keep Owen Hart intact. Um, but he also knew that, okay, I've made a living in Japan. Do, do I go there? 
but at the end of the day, Owen provided for his family and the WWF paycheck was coming in and he was getting paid very well and the houses were good and the payoffs were good. And I'm sure, you know, we talked about a couple of weeks ago that maybe old double J wasn't exactly taken care of on payoffs. I, I would, uh, and that's okay. That that's, that's the nature of the beast. I would imagine Owen was taken care of in payoffs. And so Owen was very good with his money, but I never heard him say I'm getting out of the business. Uh, was he, did he have plans? Absolutely. We did have those discussions that look, uh, Martha was going to have her career and, you know, he was uh, a, a family man um, and a Calgary family man to go back home and get off that road. Uh, not because he was completely anti attitude era. It was, I had a really good career. I saved a lot of money and I'm going home to raise my kids. Let's talk about uh, May 22nd. Chicago, Rosemont Horizon, arguably the best wrestling town in America. One of the best buildings to wrestle in, in America for sound and acoustics. According to stone cold, you guys team up to take on edge and Christian. And unfortunately it's Owen's last ever match. Any memories of that day or that match, the hall of fame, uh, and I touched on it in my speech. But when, you know, when I got down to New Orleans in 18 to go through that and they give you a, a, a basically a member of the creative team to sort of work through your speech. Um, but it's like, I, I, I want to involve Owen in this. And I'd, I'd have had a, 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 not a draft of the speech, but bullet points I wanted to hit on Owen was one of them. And then one thing led to another. And then I said, we've got to do this story. And then God bless him. I love Adam. I love Jay Christian too, but, but when Adam, when they volunteered and we connected the dots and got him to, to do this as part of, uh, of my speech, it made it all the more special. It's, it's still, when I talk about the grand weaver, April 6th of 86, my first match, April 6th of 2018. So to the day, 32 years later, I go into the hall of fame, but Owen, uh, I call it the red nose story. So my memory is great. Uh, and I will completely agree with stone cold Chicago, all state arena. There's a vibe for Chicago sports fans, specifically wrestling fans. And, um, you know, so we leave our house on a Saturday, uh, going to be a pay-per-view loop. So we're off to the races and going to be gone, whatever it is, what, whatever the run was going to be. Um, and, and so um, get to Chicago. So Nashville to Chicago is a one flight. Uh, Owen, um, you know, ha- probably had his connector through Toronto. But anyway, got word uh, from the agent or whoever it may be. Owen's going to be late. Owen's going to be late. Okay, no big deal. He's going to be here before showtime. Um, Conrad, give me tell the story again, please. <laughs> I don't know, if it, <laughs> but but because I, I've told it before, but but. Um, so for those who haven't heard it, um, Owen uh, was going to be late, and um, which which was no big deal. So a young Edge, a young Christian, uh, we're talking over the match. It's going to be relatively simple, probably, I don't know, 10, 12, 15-minute match, tag match, uh, going to be really seamless. We were super looking forward to it because the four of us, I was the odd man out, only non-Canadian in the match. But anyway, so we get together, go over the match, and Owen's not there, but Owen gets there with his one bag in hand 
and says, come here, come here, come here. And then uh, now the building's been remodeled. But in those days, not a lot of dressing space, certainly not like it is today. But we were uh, dressing in a real corner of a small room. But Owen called me into the bathroom, into the ra- around the side of a, a, a stall, but not in the stall. But anyway, and he pulls out and he says, come here, we've got to do this, we've got to do this. And he pulls out <laughs> of his jacket these two red clown or uh, clown noses. And I'm like, what are you doing? I said, Owen, get dressed. He said, Oh, I will. I will. I will. He says, we got to do this. He said, we got to work this in the match. I said, Owen, what do you want to do? He says, look, have you got the guys match laid out? Yeah. Yeah. He said, okay, let's put in there where they back us up in the corners, throw us together. We go back into the, our own respective corners and let them get up on the top term or second rope. And they give us the 10 punches respectively across the ring. And he says, when they do that, reach in your tights, put the clown nose on, let them get one, two, three, four. So as they're punching you, don't put the nose on. If you do hold it on, but what I wanted to do was, so we have the red noses, Jay and, 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 and Adam are laughing their ass off as they're punching us. And I'm trying to hold my nose on. But what Owen wanted to do was the spot was they back up and they throw us together as they do. Maybe face her. And as we shoulder tackle each other, Owen said, make sure you throw your nose as high as you can in the air. That's so hilarious. here's two guys colliding in the middle of the ring and two big red clown noses go up in the air. And it was Owen to a T. He could tear the house down seamlessly without effort, have a rib right in the middle of it to two young buddies of his. We all had fun with it, carried on with the finish. Those guys are laughing. And and that was Owen. I mean, that that is it's 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 ironic, but it's not ironic. That was his last match. When you think about it, um, just think about it. It's, It's against two Canadians. Me, a second generation. It's the four of us in the ring. We get to have this match, go out, great house, a night off for all four of us, the old term, a night off. Owen gets to play this elaborate, silly rib that was completely spontaneous and harmless. And I'm sure a 12-year-old kid in the, in the front row goes, Dad, what just happened? And the dad's got to tell the son. Well, I believe that's Clown Nose's son, but, uh, well, Dad, I thought this was real. Well, I mean, just think about the conversations that people actually saw me and Owen get thrown together with Clown Noses that, that might have not really been convinced that this was all scripted, but here we are with Clown Noses. I don't know. It's just, think about that being Owen's last match. It is um, another great message that there is a power greater than ourselves running this universe. And Owen is the one who gets the pin. He pins Christian. So in his last match, he went over. <laughs> that's great. I didn't know. So Owen be, uh, that's great. Owen pin Christian. It was a sellout that night. You guys were on second, but still the idea that Owen won his last match is kind of fun. And the next day, I think, um, you guys, even though it's probably, I don't know, four or five hour drive, you fly from uh, Chicago to St. Louis for the pay-per-view and, um, get city. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, we're at Kemper arena now. And recently we did a, a confidential version of dark side of the ring, covering this topic over on vice. And Jim Ross said that he wasn't, he wasn't sure that Owen was in the, the normal state of mind that day. D- 
did you have any interaction that you recall with Owen that day? Did anything seem different or out of the ordinary or just another day at the office? You know, I've never had this conversation with JBL and JBL is part of the ad free family. Isn't he? A little bit. Well, not officially, but he's a friend of the show for sure. That's what I meant. Yeah. He's a friend of the show. So, um, if you've flown into Kansas city airport, oh, Conrad, you ever flown in there? I have. So, so it, it's not like, I guess, normal traditional airports where you get off the plane, maybe walk past maybe three gates, maybe 10 gates. Maybe if you're in Chicago, three or four terminals, then you go down an escalator, then you get to baggage claim. Right. In Kansas city, you basically get off the plane and your baggage claim is 30 feet, 40 feet. It's sort of all right there. Yeah. It's all one level. You don't go downstairs, but it's generally speaking, all one level. So I can remember getting there and especially on a big group flight like that, you know, you've got 20, 25, uh, uh, talent, uh, of the boys on one flight. And so it's an early wake up, you know, Chicago, I'm sure extracurricular activities went down, uh, early flight, getting out of Chicago, flying over to Kansas city. Not like we're going to uh, another house show. We're, we're going to a pay-per-view. So it's get there early. Uh, guys, you know, let's go get a workout in. Let's go get a meal in. Uh, Got to check into the hotel, get the rental car. So it's, and I'll, I'll say, I don't say it's stress, but it's, it's high energy. You, you got to get going. If you're, you're hustling. Gonna get, yeah. You're hustling. You got to get your full day in and something happened. And I'm sure Bradshaw might've had a late night, maybe rumor and innuendo as Conrad says, Sure. But maybe, maybe JBL had had a late night. I don't know the particulars. I'd love to ask him and, and, and drill down to it. But whatever the case was, there was a little tussle between Blackman and JBL. Oh, this is that same day. I've heard this story. I didn't know it was the same day. Yeah. Same day. But uh, I, here's what I remember. And, and because it, you know, all crystallized over the next, I don't know, a couple of weeks, but as the tussle went down over whatever it may be. Owen, believe it or not, was a bit of an instigator, or at least once the match was lit on whatever their disagreement was over, Owen, I can remember walking behind them going, oh, oh, oh guys, calm down. You know, he he's egging it on, giving cat calls, just stirring the pot, and, and people around him, not in the industry, looking at him like, this guy is really winding people. I mean, that's Owen. He, he's like... I see a little opportunity here. Let me stir this funk and get it as ugly as I possibly can and then walk off and get in my car and leave, get, get in my free ride and leave. But anyway, that was how the day started in Kansas city. And, um, I, I'll just never forget. I'm like, Owen, this ain't funny, dude. You know, I'm, I'm thinking, but even in those days, we don't need to have a fight at baggage claim. Right. That ain't good. Vince ain't going to like it. We got pay-per-view Sunday. We got a lot to do. Owen, this is not the time, but Owen never missed an opportunity. I mean, seriously, he never missed an opportunity to rip ever. I, uh, I don't really want to talk about the accident. I feel like everybody listening to this knows what happened. You know, it's been covered to death. I've done shows, you know, on it and about it with multiple times and, 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 and places now with JR and vice and everywhere else. So check it out if, if you need more information, but a lot of people remember your scene that night, yeah, of course you're there at the pay-per-view over the edge, um, to, uh, to be in a tag match and 
you're going to be teaming with Deborah to take on Nicole Bass and Val Venus. In hindsight, this all just seems really silly. But after the tragedy happens, you've you've got to do a promo, and it's not a pre-tape; it's live. And through teary eyes, and you're and you're choked up. You said, first off, Owen Hart, I'm praying for you, buddy." And yeah, the, we've got to keep the show going. Uh, sort of just take me back to that moment. I can't imagine being in this circumstance. So Conrad prior to today, I've never really said some of these things, I guess, publicly. Um, but this is a part of my story that I didn't process for so long. I only sort of took different bits and pieces, but, but to, 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 to get into the, 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 I guess you could say the event we arrived at the building and to, 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 cause I'm, I'm sort of telling you the story to set up to that promo is where I'm going with this is, is that pay-per-view Sundays were packed, lots of production people, lots. I mean, the roster, everybody on the roster was there. So me and Owen would find different places to dress <laughs> to uh, not, I don't say away from folks, but just where we're not, 40 people in a, a locker room. So Owen came to me early that day and said, Hey, I'm up this hall. It looks like a public restroom. It's not, they've already got, you know, down 30, 40 feet that's blocked off. But if you go into the, so when you, it's one of those public restrooms, I'll call it a public restroom where you go in one door and it's just sinks. And then you go in another door and it's six or eight stalls type deal. And so he said, I'm dressing back in those stalls because it was actually a little open area. He said, people will never know we're back there again, trying to get off the beaten path. And we didn't want people to open the door and say, Hey, nobody's around. I'm going to go in and steal my stuff, whatever it is. So it's like, there's a door behind the door. So anyway, that's where we ended up dressing and going in there. And, um, so, so shit, you know, I've already lost my train of thought, uh, Conrad, but as far as the promo, so I can remember, First match or second match, whatever it was, but Matt uh, Miller, um, who is the one who's connected to that Cleveland store, he was, it was us three were buddies and he wanted to know where we were dressing. And of course, Owen had to rib him that day, you know. But long story short is Matt knew we were where we were dressing. And so he came and said, Owen, they want you now because you had to go up top, you know, go, go up in the rafters. And so I knew I was on after Owen. And so I went down to the gorilla and walking and then came back and Owen was taken off with his garb and his outfit and all that. And I went in to the dressing room and that's when I had, I already had boots and tights on, but no shirt, uh, no glasses and probably baby oil or whatever it is to do the quote unquote, my final stages. And I always had a ritual. Like I told you, um, whatever, you know, I, I, I am a, a very peculiar preparing for a match mentally uh, all throughout my career, getting dressed, when I got dressed, how I got dressed, the timing of it, everything. So I knew, okay, I'm going to go in, whatever it may be. But I can remember this kind of stuff, literally like it was yesterday, Matt running up the hall saying, 
Jeff, you're up, you're up, you're up, you're up, you're up. And I'm going, what? And thinking he's ripping, he goes, no, you're, you're, you're up. And I said, oh, oh, Owen's back. Uh, what are you talking about? He goes, no, 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 no. Uh, Owen fell. Okay. Owen, I, 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 you know, obviously I had no, like, oh. that convinced me though, that I'm up. And then I heard several screams, Jeff, you're, you know, like I could, through the halls, Jarrett, whatever it was. So then all of a sudden I'm taking off and I go. And as I get down there, people from production, hey, we're going to do a promo. And I'm thinking, do a promo. And I can tell you, if you've ever been to a car wreck or even hospitals, the, the heaviness. And again, I've processed this multiple times. We may or may not get into it, but specifically four years ago, but, but the heaviness uh, of the room, of the area. But they said, oh, you got to do a promo. And that's when I kind of like, he didn't fall and blow out a knee. I didn't have that conscious thought, but this is a lot more than Owen, quote unquote, fell. Like, I, 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 I just couldn't fathom, like, my immediate thought was blow out a knee. Or, and I, I'm not saying that I had that thought, but nothing serious. I'll just say that. And when they pulled me on over that and um, – the interviewer and, and, and where it was at. So it's 30 feet from gorilla. Um, and, and as they're going and Francois, I, I, I have a vivid memory. He was a, a trainer, a, tra- a tra- chiropractor. There is a mass of people and it is a gurney and Francois is up on top and giving, um, chest compressions, uh, chest compressions. Thank you. Um, and he, he's, he's doing that and, and just the mass of people and the feeling that, and I, to this day, I've never watched any of this event back. I didn't watch the promo, not know that, but I, I, I vividly remember the feeling of, oh, and three, two, one, and the promo rolls and I finish it and off we go and they grab me and say, go right to the ring. And walking down that ring and getting up in that, again, these are thoughts that I stuffed for 20 years or 17 years, whatever, 18 years. But getting up in that ring and walking around like I do before matches, knowing that if I'm first entrance, second entrance, and going to the place where Owen had fell and feeling the ring, Again, I've had the, I guess you could say the luxury of processing things that to this day, it's like, <clears throat> and you hear about, uh, I, I never thought about this, but they, in, in treatment, I was taught PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. I always thought that's for folks at war, that went to war, that saw this and that. But being up in the ring and feeling that, that's when the heaviness came over that Conrad there, there's, there is, it, it was, it was like such a, and it's therapeutic now for me to process the feelings and talk about it. Uh, but it, it is, it, it is something that that memory and then the match was, you know, come on the mixed tag and the cold mass and whatever it was, but coming through the curtain, and Matt standing there, and I said, get me a car now. 
And he said, we've got it for you. And whatever came over me, my OCD brain ran up and grabbed my bags and come down. And Matt says over here, and they had me a cop car. And when I think back over it now, what was known and what wasn't known and how Matt took care of me and had the cop car and the cop car was backed into. So we ran up the ramp and they put me in the car and I, the car takes off fast. And I'm just like, Oh, and I, you know, I immediately start bowing my head and just thinking. And I start asking the officer, what do you know? No answer. What do you know? Nothing. And then I banged on the window because it had the police petition. I said, Hey, sir, I know you probably can't tell me a lot. Can you, can you just please give me a heads up? We're, 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 we got to be getting close. And he didn't say anything. I said, and whatever I said, I can remember him looking over the corner of his shoulder and basically just saying, it's not good, Jeff. And that's when I just was like, wow. You know, did I know he had passed? No, but, but, it was a lot different. And then he pulled in there and out walks a nurse and out walks another nurse. And mm, that's, you know, that, that's when the news broke to me. And I can remember them saying, do you want to go in? And I immediately went, no, I said, Martha needs to be here. And, and, and the family, no. And, and, uh, I just stood outside and that felt like an eternity, but I just sort of stood out there. Uh, and to this day, I don't recall who came and got me. Uh, but I stood out there and sobbed and weeped and, and really couldn't wrap my head around it. And then the doctor came out and just sort of talk, sort of talking to me. And, uh, yeah, it was, that was a, that was a heavy, heavy day. Are you, uh, are you alone at the hospital? Yes. Are you still in your gear? Yes. It's hard to, uh, it's hard to want to talk about wrestling when you just sort of, I mean, I wasn't there, but I, I feel like just based on what you just laid out you painted a picture where everybody listening feels like they were there at least i do and uh i never even met owen but you can tell how much he meant not only to his family but to you and well all of us fans who felt like we knew him but were never fortunate enough to know him you know that night if you at the kansas uh city so we go back to the hotel um and I can remember Road Dog sitting across from me on a twin bed, you know, with the phone, the little phone stands right between, and we were basically knee to knee. And him getting on the phone with my wife and him telling her, yeah, he's good. He's good. We're good. You know, she just called and checking on it. And us just sort of, I got to chuckle at myself, but <laughs> you think about me and Brian James trying to, uh, console one another. What a train wreck that is just yeah. to think about. Um, but we, we, you know, we, we, we tried to, to process it 
but I, I'll say, you know, we didn't. Yeah. How do you? We did. You, you said something earlier, you know, I didn't want to cut you off because I just wanted you to be able to tell your story, but you said being in that ring and feeling it, I think what you meant was under your feet, you could feel the broken boards where Owen had fallen and you knew, man, this is real, right? Yeah. And that, that is something to, 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 to sort of, to drill down into it is that is when Consciously, I didn't know, but subconsciously, so I've told and now firmly believe, I knew he was no longer with us. Maybe not intellectually, but walking over there and 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 piecing together. Again, you got to go back. Uh, also, knowing without really rationalizing and thinking and tying this all together and the pieces of the puzzle, this is a really hard ash ring and all this. But there was a a big part of the ring that was sunk down in over in that corner that I knew, but didn't know that I knew. I um, I don't want this conversation to become a debate about whether or not the show should have continued and who would have wanted it to continue and why it did and all of that. And you know, me well enough to know I love professional wrestling and, and I know that you've dedicated your life to it and you love it, but man, how fucked up is it in context of, well, boys, the show must go on, get out there and wrestle in that hole where your friend just fell and you're, and you're as bet you're one of his best friends and it happens and you're there immediately after. And I, I don't know what to say, man, I could see how and why this was a struggle for you. And re- you know, when wrestling's awesome, man, there ain't nothing better, but God dang, that's shitty, dude. Interesting. And I say interesting in the fact that, you know, when you have a kid, the doctor doesn't put you in the car and say, here's your manual. Right. And when your baby has colic, do this, but he may give you a manual, but when you're running on a sleep at one hour of sleep a night for about two weeks running, there ain't a manual for how to deal with a screaming baby. And so maybe, yeah hindsight and i'm sure there's a protocol now put in place but i have said mike moonihan you know mike uh, over Charleston. i did an interview with only him uh, probably inside of 12 months uh, of the accident something along those lines and he pressed me and 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 wanted to talk about it and and look everybody's had different opinions and he was doing his job as a reporter but I said it then, and I'll say it today. You know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah, I don't believe there was a manual that Vince or Kevin Dunn or anybody that was there. It's very easy to, to say today, stop it. Sure, but but when the accident happened, probably everybody went into the reflex of. 
a bad injury. Let's clear ringside and continue with the show. I've often thought how Jr. and Jerry, and again, oh, I've gosh. been in this back. That that's uh, in an ugly way or a pretty way, or I'm not sure the epitome of professionalism to con- continue. It, it's it's like I got to go out there or had to go out there or whatever you want to say for six, eight, 10, 12 minutes and the following match, the same the following match, the same. Those guys had to process where the heaviness started to sink in. And, and again, I don't even know who worked main event that night, but, but it is a, uh, it is, it is such, it was such a tragedy on so many levels. Uh, and, and not just for, and Lord knows, I don't mean to be dismissive. I mean, uh, Owen and his family paid the ultimate price that night without but, question, but the tragedy is to me, you know, the other tragedy smaller, certainly by no comparison, but my goodness, the idea that not only do you realize the boards are broken and this is where he was, but now you've got to communicate that. Hey guys. Watch out for this section over here. We need to work around it. <laughs> you know, and again, n- this has never happened before. Nobody knew what to do and they had to make a call and as fucked up as wrestling is at times, we've all heard the phrase, get the match in the ring. If It's been promoted, get the match in the ring. And you're trying to, you're trying to put smiles on faces and you're trying to you know, send fans home happy and give them their money's worth. And, and, and on, if, if we're honest, a lot of fans in the crowd that night probably assumed this is an angle, you know, this is a story. This is a soap opera. They don't know what's just happened. And even everybody backstage doesn't really know. It wasn't until you sort of feel it beneath your feet and you subconsciously realize, oh, this is bad. Um, We've never had an opportunity to hear from somebody who was in the ring, you know, like this and, and, and had your experience. And I know that this whole process, well, you called it maybe therapeutic, but dude, you and I are recording on a Tuesday morning. Nobody wants to be upset on a Tuesday morning. So I, I appreciate you being honest and forthright and transparent and sharing your story and. You know, I, I wanted to tell Owen rib stories and, and celebrate his life and talk about what all he taught you, but I don't think you can really tell the story without of you two without connecting that dot. And, uh, you know, the traveling circus continues next night is an Owen Hart tribute and, and everybody has an opportunity to work some matches and wear some armbands. And this became something I knew I wanted to talk about with you because when I visited your home for the first time a few months ago, uh, you've got some interesting and even a couple of oversized pieces of wrestling memorabilia. And I commented on it and you said, man, I didn't have a thing from wrestling in my house until I got inducted in the hall of fame. And Karen said, Jeff, they're coming here to film. You need to have some of your career up. So she went to your storage spot and, and picked some things out and you got sort of redid your man cave, if you will, but you went over to the corner. And you said, this is the only thing I've had wrestling hung in my house for 20 years. And it was a picture of you and Owen and you hung on to that armband from that tribute show. And it's just interesting to me that, you know, 
the, the, what was the old Lou Albano thing I said earlier, you know, all that's real is the money and the miles, but the relationships are real. The relationships are everlasting. And it made such a big impression on you that, you know, sold out shows and record paydays and title runs and WrestleMania moments that didn't get wall space in the Jarrett household, but your tribute to Owen did. And I thought that was cool. Hmm. Candidly, I've never really looked at it that way, Conrad. And I guess if you're asking for a response, Owen was real and work in the business is just that. It's not forever. Owen was forever. I can't think of a better way for us to, uh, in the episode than that line. We, um, we learned a lot about Owen's family on vice when they had an opportunity to, to talk to Martha and Oge and Athena and you've name dropped them a few times here. Are you still, uh, in any communication with the family at all? So, uh, n- not, not day, no, it, the last time it was 2018. Um, and this is sort of when I look back on how everything ends up being weaved together. So out of all the weeks and, you know, Martha, uh, PhD, uh, and, and just to, you know, and I, you won't end the episode. Maybe we've gone too long, but to, to, to leave it. No, on, no, let, let me. We've not gone too long. I just want to do him justice, but yeah. I, I'll be honest. I've got a bunch more notes, but I don't know a better way to end it than Owen is forever. Mm-hmm. But if you've got more that you want to share and sort of open up your heart and your testimony, I'm here to listen, man. No, I, I just, it, it, again, I, I'll, I'll say that, that, um, I've been asked about that promo on raw the following night and, Here's sort of a cool thing out of it that Martha sent my kids a Christmas box of goodies every year for, gosh, I don't know, uh, uh, 10, 12 years, you know, certainly for a while. Um, and during that process, I became close with sister, uh, Martha's sister. And, and, but, but as time went on and she moved to the UK, but in 2018, Hall of Fame, and I go over there. And a week before I went over there, I got contacted by a gentleman who's doing a documentary on Owen and, and just through that whole process. And they came and picked me up at the hotel and I went and did a, uh, uh, I don't know, maybe a 90 minute interview session about it. Uh, but it was interesting all these years, how, the different ebbs and flows I'll say of, 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 uh, the emotion, uh, of Owen. Um, yeah, you've got me so rattled, Conrad. Uh, I, I guess we should end this episode. I apologize. Uh, you finished your, um, your speech on that Owen tribute episode. Owen, I make this promise to you because you got two little kids and I got a little one of my own as they grow older. 
The only thing they may have to find out what their dad is like is wrestling films. But I make the promise to myself that as years go by, I'm going to do my best to let Oj and Athena really know what a great man you were, Owen. And that is when people, obviously until the podcast and and all that, but that's the sort of button on everything. I've been asked over the years, tell us the Owen rib story. Tell us this, tell us that. And knowing that, that interviews are taken sometimes out of context, but certainly sound bites and little pieces here and there. And I, at times, almost refused to tell rib stories, certainly for the first 10 or 15 years, for that fact that I said that promo, and I knew that if Jeff's going to talk about Owen, I'm not going to talk about ribs. I'm not going to talk about in-ring. I'm not going to talk about this match and that match. I'm going to spend all my time talking about the man that he was, the husband, the father, the family man, the, the friend, the, the, the guy that was not afraid, you know, it's no secret that uh, I used to like my beer and I can remember Owen when we had ride together and he would give me that natural, Jeff, you're really not going to drink that beer tonight. Are you knowing he's joking, but, but Owen's the kind of guy that told you, and stood up for things not only he believed in, but he wanted the best for you. And I really processed through that, that I didn't, I, 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 I may be able to, I don't know of anybody off the top of my head that it would, would tell me, hey, man, maybe you shouldn't do that. Maybe you shouldn't do that. Owen was that guy. And that's what Oge and Athena, they, they lost their dad, but they'll never, ever, ever if 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 it comes out of my mouth knowing what kind of human being and and that is like a, a compass that i hope oj and athena this day are led by their dad's moral compass because he had uh, his mind right his morals right his integrity right and and if oj and athena can follow their dad's compass they're going to be super successes in, in their life I feel bad even asking this, but before we clicked record today, you looked at the camera and you said, Conrad, don't let me forget to talk about Owen's funeral. Hmm. I can edit that out. If you'd rather, we can just go home or if you want to share whatever story that was, you said, remind me to talk about Owen's funeral. I'll let you guys decide if we're, if you're cutting it out or, or whatever it may be, but, but I want no one coming to this episode. And, um, when I got to treatment, my counselor sat me down <clears throat> and he said, let's talk about it. <clears throat> and we got, <clears throat> and we got into the PTSD and all that kind of stuff. But, but he talked about the word closure. And, and I guess, uh, as they say, here's a talking point. Here is a talking point that I was, that I hope somebody hears this can learn from my mistake. So we fly up like a lot of folks, you know, we all went to Owen's funeral. I can remember, I mean, waking up whatever time it was and 
I said, I'm going to the funeral now. And Jill had said something that we got several hours. And I said, no, I'm going to get there early, early. She said, for what? I said, I just want just a, a minute with, you know, not, not knowing what I was walk, about to walk into, but I just wanted to get there early and process it. So I got there and the funeral home wasn't even open. And the, the, the man came to the door and said, we're going to open. And then they left and they came back and said, you're here for Owen and you know, just connecting. The dots. So they said, yeah, c- come on in. And I, Jill stayed out in the car and I went upstairs and went into the room. It was a small room with just his casket. And I just went in and said my goodbyes and in and, and, and my brain put closure on it that I said my goodbyes. And that's when that's the mistake I made. I thought I said my goodbyes and closure. And that's really the last time I emotionally was connected to the situation because went to the funeral, Colin Ray sings, get on the plane, come home, pack my bags, back out on the road. And that was stuffing of Owen Hart's relationship on a emotional level that I never processed. It was all in about a four or five day period. And then I put a lid on it and 18 years later, a lot of all that came out and I had my good cries and processed and thought through it and talked about it and talked about it, about not too Ogen Athena, but, but just processing all of that. And my point being is that stuffing feelings and not being transparent and candid and talking things out, there is so much healing that can be done. And if you don't do it, it's going to come out one way or another. Some people get mad. Some people have rage. Some people have anger. Some people medicate themselves. Some people go different. Anyway, it, it doesn't end well and it does end but if you sit and process it and process things and have a buddy a friend and that's why conrad i've I've said it and over the last couple of weeks i've had different family members even my dad i said the podcast is going to be different for me in so many ways i wasn't ready and i didn't intellectually think that i wasn't ready to talk about all this but now in my very core if i can tell my story and me and you have fun and kick it around and you can chat me up and Matt Cardona, Zach Ryder can make fun of my hundred percent or Nick Aldis hundred percent or whatever <laughs> you guys. So anyways, Cassie goes in like that, but at the very core of it, somebody can take something from a podcast and go, wow, I'm gonna, I, I, I'll take that and make it my own or mold it. That that's, that's at the very top of my list. Why I do want to be vulnerable because it not only, helps me. I have been in a situation where it's helped others when I've heard other people share with me. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, I, I can say this, there wasn't a topic from here out. It's all downhill Conrad. Cause this is by far my toughest topic to face. I, I believe now you may come up with something different, but processing, and I can already feel better knowing that the Owen episode and you do it so Eloquently, we do it justice, very respectful. 
And in the My World podcast, I believe it, with the Owen episode, uh, was done in a manner that I'm proud of. That makes me happy. I didn't have the uh, privilege of knowing him, but you did. And if you're proud of what we did today, then I am too. I, um, I hope you guys have enjoyed a, a different episode of my world. We're going to be laughing and carrying on and telling funny bullshit stories next week. <laughs> Hit the subscribe button. It'll be a little different, but today let's, uh, let's go watch some old Owen stuff. Let's think about Owen, watch some of those funny moments and funny clips that still live forever. I'm not a nugget, <laughs> <laughs> but we will float back up to the surface next week, right here on my world. Hey everybody, this is Dan Bespris, host of Fantasy NBA Today, a daily fantasy basketball podcast. We cover every box score from every game every day, plus bonus shows on buy low opportunities, players to stash, schedule analysis, and really anything you could need to smash your league into deliciously tiny pieces. Catch the Fantasy NBA Today podcast, part of the Believe Network, on YouTube or wherever you listen.